Have you ever wanted something so badly you would do anything for it? <laughs> well, me, I want to be an actress. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be in pictures so badly I screwed a guy from Photomat. <laughs> you know when they say in and out in 24 hours? <laughs> he was in and out in 24 seconds. <laughs> I am off to a casting session. <laughs> Don't you wish you were going to be there with me? <laughs> now, kind of imagine this. Six actresses going to the same house to audition for the same part. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun if you like blood baths. I mean, I can see it now. The actor's saying to me, excuse me, but I think that's my knife in your back. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to Horror Haven Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm John. I'm Roy. And I'm Becca. And today we are talking about Curtains and Intruder. Uh, we actually already recorded a Curtains episode that was lost in the techno technology sphere somewhere, whatever you want to call it. So um, we're going to do like a brief overview of everything and... Kind of give our thoughts cloud, on the movie. Is that, is that how the cloud works? You know, it's recorded yeah. up there, and then it's just where shit gets lost. Yeah, it'll get leaked. It'll get leaked with somebody's nudes like ten years from now. Somebody's <laughs> nudes. <laughs> it's like here's some it's celebrity's dick, it's and like then uh, a review of curtains. Like Thirty years from now, they decide to kill us because of that broadcast. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, oh, there's no intelligent life here. No. <laughs> Let me send a dick pic. Oh crap! I sent this random horror haven. Who the fuck is Horror Haven? (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting on a dick pic. Who the fuck is Horror Haven? Here I am with my Vaseline. (laughs) I'm jerking it to some dude named Roy. (laughs) Yeah. And my picture of Hanson. Back when they were good before they sold out. They called the boy band Chinchilla. I never got this dick pic, but this movie curtain sounds pretty fu- pretty solid, so... Yeah, right. <laughs> he's halfway into it, he's just like, I never did get my dick pic. The curtain sounds pretty solid. I'm gonna give it a watch. Yeah. You know? But, uh, right. yeah, before we get started, I do want to bring up, um, John, you just dropped an EP, so anybody listening should go check that out, because that is pretty solid. Do that... I did just drop an EP. It kind of—I always feel a little bit weird because that's not why I'm on the podcast. No, I just wanted um, to put it out there. Oh no, for sure. And I appreciate all the support that ever comes my way, but um, I suppose I won't be that shitty, weird, neurotic author. It's, Don't go listen to it. Don't check it out. That's <laughs> not why I'm here. It sucks. <laughs> it's awesome. Go check it out. No, it's—it's uh, it's something we're very proud of. I'll, I mean, everybody who's come towards me, we're really proud of it. We're pretty happy about it. The whole EP is out. It's called Haunt Me. It's uploaded to the SoundCloud. It's called SoundCloud right now. You can 
Find it under the search bar, type in Skeleton Rose, you'll find it. It will be out everywhere in digital land within the week because it's getting submitted tomorrow for aggregation, and that's a fancy word for distribution. So, But it takes them a couple of days to get it through. So it'll be out anywhere you buy your digital music, your digital music for free or for purchase, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Rumblefish, anywhere you get your music, it'll be available there in a couple of days' time. So not only the three whole new tracks... So there's I'll Cut the Fingers from Your Hand, Haunt Me, and then The River of Courage. But there will be over 90-some-odd minutes from a live show we did a little while ago that's specifically being released for the EP. So it's just one of those really cool releases while we're waiting for the full-length album, Necro, which will be out later this summer. Check out that EP at Skeleton yeah. Rose Media. Um, we are going to be recording this episode and a couple episodes in the coming weeks. Um, we're actually recording them all this week, but they'll be put out in the next couple weeks. Um, so they'll be put up, and then we're going to be... I, I don't want to say taking a break from the show or like reformatting the show, but we're going to be switching things up a little bit. So um, keep an eye out for that. Nothing too well, drastic. There's some, but... ser- there's some seriously big news in the whole deal, and it's here at camp. I don't know if you want to share that, but there's this very specific reason why there's going to be like a small little break while you reformat the schedule of showing. Yeah, Sarah sure. and I are getting divorced. That's why she's not on the episode right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, John and Roy sound like assholes. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really want to talk about it, but you know, yeah. I don't think it's fun. No, I'm talk about my dead grandmother. <laughs> No, uh, Sierra and I, we we are having a kid. I think it's been mentioned um, throughout the, the show a little bit. But congratulations! <laughs> you so, said congratulations. Your boys can swim. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. But, uh, <laughs> no, so we're gonna be taking kind of a break. Um, we're still gonna be putting out episodes to some capacity. I, I'd like to try and put out episodes weekly. Even if that means getting on and recording like a few episodes in advance um, <laughs> during labor, <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> push. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, we went over curtains. But uh, so keep an eye out for that stuff and just bear with us if we go a week or two without posting. I promise we're not gone forever. We'll be back. It's temporary. Well, I mean, it's more or less just sort of retailering a schedule. Right? Yeah, that's that's what it is. Because it between work, because you know, unfortunately, we can't podcast for a living. So between both of us working and doctor's appointments and this and that, it's stressful. So we'll be taking taking it easy for a little bit, just until we get back on track with stuff. But I'm not going to bore everyone with that. Let's get into curtains. Fuck yeah! All right. What? what? All right. So, Curtains was released in 1983. It was directed by Richard Kupka, I think is how you pronounce it, and it was written by Robert Guza Jr., who also wrote Prom Night, which we just covered in our past episode. Um, the movie, just to give a little bit of background on it, there were issues during the whole production to the point where it took three years to release the film. Uh, they started filming it in 1980, and... Richard Kupka, to give the, like, the spark note version, didn't like the direction that the movie was going, so the final project only had 45 minutes worth of his material, and they actually had to return a year and a half later to film the second half, in which Peter Simpson, the, one of the producers for the film, stood in as the director. But Just as a quick question, what was, what was the total runtime on, on it? Was it 
Um, I think it was like an hour and 24 minutes. Oh, a little shorter than that. Or an hour and 29 minutes. About the same length as today's horror movies? Yeah, yeah about not. But I, I mean, that's just like a brief. Th- I mean, they had to recast actresses. They had to um, after returning a year and a half later, they kind of were going with a, a different direction for the film. So they had to go back and do reshoots of past scenes so that they made sense. And it it was a mess to the point where everyone involved with the film was kind of like, "Fuck this movie! I just want to get it over with and get it put out." And even watching interviews, even watching interviews today where they talk about the movie, nobody really seems, like, excited about the movie. They're kind of just like, I wish this never happened. <laughs> if, I could, if I could delete that chapter of my life completely, I would. Um, but, yeah, Richard Kupka left, and he actually changed the... He took his name off of the project, so when you watch the movie, it actually says in the credits that it was directed by Jonathan Stryker, who was the director character in the film. Um... I thought so, you were going to say he changed his name. I can't yeah, even... So, this is so, so bad. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely insane to me every time I think back on this. Like, This thing had no reason to work when you really think about it. Yeah. Like, is that every opportunity to fail and no reason to pan out? You know, So the fact that it actually did anything is, is, is well, really that's, impressive. That's the thing, too. And last time we had talked about it, uh, we had all kind of agreed that... like. There's this technically has two directors. They were trying to go two different directions with the movie, but watching the final project, there's really like I didn't sense that at all. It flowed together pretty well, in my opinion. Well, and it, it, I think it ends up in a different place than where it started, mm-hmm. but it's a but it's a clear evolution. Like it's it's a clear uh, you like know, transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a clear blossom, kind of you know, from where the story. Well, goes. like Dylan said, they had to go back and read. Like yeah. reshoot something yeah. so yeah. it makes sense, or like better transition roles. It'd be like an abrupt notice between. Yeah, exactly. Like and the that, styles. And yeah. that's what I'm. And, and I mean, you can tell it ends up in a different place. And so the fact that it's not directly like so notice. It's not like a big red ugly bruise yeah. where it's oh, yeah. so noticeable that it's like <laughs> of the changes, and all of a sudden it's. The Wayans Brothers scary movie. Well, abrupt. To my understanding, the the direction that they want they initially had agreed to take it was they wanted to make a, a slasher film that was directed towards adults because the slasher films that were coming out they were all teenagers that were just going and doing stupid shit. So uh, the plot for this movie, because I didn't say it before, it's uh, six young actress, actresses auditioning for a movie role at a remote mansion are targeted by a mysterious masked murderer so the characters in the film are all older characters there's more of a motive than just some mindless killers going around killing teenagers that are smoking pot and having sex yeah Um, (laughs) so to my understanding the differences and opinions that they had was richard kupka when he was making it wanted to make almost like a to what it seems to me like a mystery thriller type movie where peter simpson and the uh his brother i don't remember um richard simpson they wanted to do like a you know stereotypical slasher they wanted to put more emphasis on that which is why when you watch the film the second half of the film there's like a whole chase scene throughout like a props department of a theater oh which, okay so the so the, uh, the the um 
were, were they shot in that order too? So like the people that had taken over after the first regime, I guess if you want to call it, like the people that had taken over wanted a more traditional take on it. Yeah, like I, I don't. I, second, I couldn't tell you what was filmed before Richard Kugler left and what was filmed after, but I know for a fact that that scene, the whole chase scene throughout the props department and stuff, was filmed after he had left. Okay, which and, which would then explain why, like from the beginning, it was a well who done it, but then it started turning more towards a, a it, slasher. It was still yeah. a but it was still a who done it, but it was yeah, more yeah, slasher. But that scene to the props department goes for a long time. That's it does, the, yeah. I think the, uh, like the majority of like slasher films, not counting like sequels, because then you know who the killer is for the majority, you don't know who the killer is like until the end. Right, sure. Mm. Well, I mean, watching this movie gave me a Except huge... Except for uh, Halloween. <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, um, uh, like, watching this movie gave me a much larger appreciation for the movie Scream. Mm-hmm. And because you start seeing, I guess, I don't know, I have a really soft spot for that. When, you know, you grow up during a certain era, you're less exposed to everything that came before it. So when you're exposed to the things that you have access to as a kid and you start getting a chance to go back and watch some of these movies from, like, before that era, you get to kind of see almost where your favorite stuff, like, brewed up. You know, you get to see where it came from. And so, like, I remember watching this movie curtains and as and as like i see i see this movie all over screen i do as i mean when you really think about it i mean i know that like scream takes place in a town and it's over a couple days and it's and it's kind of more widespread but very much the whodunit and, yeah. and very much the same kind of feel so like because like even the slasher scene that like we're talking about now with the changes and shifts in tone the the slasher stuff at the end of Scream becomes much more prevalent because if you think about it in the beginning, not to derail this into a conversation about Scream, but I'm just saying that like it's just interesting to me when you start comparing the two, mm-hmm. is, is that in the beginning of Scream for the first you know three fourths of it, the death scenes are pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean they're not uber quick, but like the killer shows up, they chase for a little while, and then the person dies to add to the body count, and then like the the end scene in the house when they're all locked in together. That goes for a long time, in the same way that that the chasing through the props department does for curtains. Yeah, and it, so it, it it also compares also like in the same way that the kills weren't like they were there and they were important to progress the story, but it wasn't the focus wasn't on the kills. Where you watch yeah, a slasher yeah. movie and it's just like, oh, how can they one up their brutal, gory, bloody kills? Where this it's almost like the Roman arena, where, yeah. where you're there to see the violence. You yeah, know? where this it kind of like people died, <laughs> and that's how they progressed the story and put the story into place. But they weren't there just to be bloody, gory, like a slasher movie. Essentially, it wasn't a, a stereotypical slasher film. Right, and I think that the way that they do that, which comes very, very prevalent, is a, I think it's a great way to segue into this conversation. One of the movie's very large particular strengths uh, was how much weight they gave each death, mm-hmm. and 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 it and it's sort of like they wanted to do something different with each death too. And the one that I and I talked about this the first time you know we'd gone over this movie, um, but I know Dylan would you know probably gonna have a lot to say about it too. Is that famous? Is the is the scene with the ice skater? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I absolutely love that scene for so many different reasons because that character, like when Dylan's talking about the difference between this and traditional slashers, it's like there's so much weight given to that ice skater's death. And, and in that way, she, like so like she shows up to the house, she almost has no reason or right to be there when you really think about it. Mm-hmm. You know? And so <laughs> she comes wandering into that room with Stryker and whoever else and, and Stryker's just like, Yes, who are you now? <laughs> like, I'm the ice skater. And, he, and then he's just like, Right over here, my dear. And she's just like, If I go through this door, will I get the part? And he's just like, If it means you'll go in, then yeah. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so like goes in and then like 10 seconds later it comes back and he just like like he's already done fucking her you know and as an aside too and i have to mention this again like he comes walking out and roy turned to me in that scene and roy turned to me during that scene and just like it's like striker and roy was like yes i did (laughs) (laughs) where else you gonna get punked like that (laughs) anyway so it's like you don't just see him have sex with this with his ice skater you get this really touching scene immediately after where you get to see her really break and she's really torn up about it and her innocence is shattered in the first initial way. And then in her death scene follow, there's a lot of things that also tie into that destroying of innocence. And I saw it as a way of like almost killing a child on screen without killing a child mm-hmm. because she, that character is so innocent and so pure, you know, that uh, well, she's even wearing little mittens. Yeah, the night before, like Stryker taking taking her innocence. This is the one way she can go back and regain it and 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 re um, gather herself. Right, is to do what she loves doing, which is skating. And so to have her killed, sort of in that peak, it it almost makes her like the most tormented character in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, and she has the least amount of screen time. Or between her and the chick that dies in the weird rape fantasy. Before yeah. The yeah, the dude with the yeah. fucking yeah. creeper mustache. But when you even think about it, even her death had weight. Because they gave her that dream sequence where she mm-hmm. saw herself showing up to the house and there was the doll. So like every death in this movie was very impressive. It had a lot of weight to it. And and, and there was a lot of deaths. Well, I, th- so I, think like, what, I think what caused that was the characters in this movie were all very diverse but they were all for the most part likable characters but they were all there it, it was interesting because they were all there for the same reason but they were all such different characters and it wasn't your stereotypical there's a jock there's a prep that like they, there was depth to every single character and it made you care about them in some capacity when they died right exactly and, and i mean and that's exactly and then like even the, like even the ice skater when she first gets stabbed or whatever else as she's crawling away, her moans are very childlike. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're not like screaming or wretched. They're like betrayed almost. Like, oh no! Right? Yeah, oh no! Oh no! Oh no, oh, no! Kind of thing. And even when she's her throat is slit because like uh, she gets her head cut off, right? Because her head's the one that they find in the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and, and so, like, even when she gets her, her head cut off or whatever else, she's left in this eternal scream. And that's one of my favorite spots in horror movies. It's like, so, like, they have this little scene where you see right at her chin level, and she's looking up into the skies, and her mouth is just open. And so, like, and then, like, as, and then, like, she gets her head cut off, right? And when you see her head in the toilet later, her mouth is still open. Mm. So it shows, like, she died in that much torment, you know, that, like, it was almost not 
the the idea of dying was maybe not necessarily as frightening as like what's coming in the afterlife kind of thing. I don't, I'm getting a bit philosophical at that point. I realize that I'm stretching into some areas that like that's more than people want to think about a horror movie. But I'm just saying, all of these things were there. That, that's my point. Is is what I'm saying is like there was a lot of yeah and uh, a lot of attention. Like the characters, like as far as like ages, it went across oh, a big yeah. spectrum. Because yeah. like Skater was very young. Yeah, yeah, like the beginning actress. Some experience, then you had the uh, uh, the veteran, Brooke Parsons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you had this broad spectrum of different, uh, yeah, like uh, yeah, personalities, uh, like uh, outtakes on life, like different things you could relate to, whether you were like a young person, old person. Like, so you, uh, there was, I think, things you could identify with personally in like every character. Or mm-hmm. like each one, you maybe found something you could relate to in an individual character. Like if, say you're like an older person watching it, you look at the old people and you know their plight. When you're young and innocent, you look at the the skater and right, like, all sure. right, you see yourself. So there, you see yourself like some sort of reflection in each one. Right. I mean, and in that way, you like like we've said this whole way, there's a lot of attention to detail on that. And so like, it does have that much more weight, which makes it more than the traditional slasher, which really gives it the weight that I think it ends up having. And I, I want to give Dylan a chance that I know he, like, he, the way he had described the last time we talked about this, that ice skating scene, um, is, like, that thing has stuck with me. It, it does. And it that is the scene that's, like, the most iconic scene from this movie like i this was my first time watching this movie but i had seen that scene multiple times before like that's what stands out the most and it's interesting because you have all these dark tones when you're but when you're watching the movie it's such a brightly lit scene everything like it had just snowed it's peaceful but the peace is kind of interrupted by this creepy old bitch mask killer <laughs> coming right at you. <laughs> but well, it, sure. it's interesting I mean, because it, it sure. shows, I mean, there's other movies that had done it before where, you know, all the most, like all the scariest parts had happened during the day at light. But this, you don't need that dark, creepy atmosphere. Like no. this was such a peaceful, and it's almost like, intrusive in a way because well there's uh well when you think about it well it's almost the ultimate way of well because that was the thing with halloween right well a lot of of fans of carpenter you know carpenter said that like the ultimate evil lurks at night Mm -hmm. and so to go completely counterbalance to that i mean i've done done a lot of that and a lot of the stuff we've done for skeleton road it's like why don't we have it out happen during the day because i was like like, like, there's something so defiant about that and there's like two levels like in the dark the fear of not knowing what's coming yeah. to you. And then Broad you daylight, still you know. See, yeah. And it's so terrifying, yeah. even and, in the light. Like in daylight, you see exactly like, what's yeah. coming for you. And I had told Roy that. I was like, I was like, one of the things I love to do in horror is that it's like, you know, I feel like I'm going to go on a quick little, I'll straight up call it a bitch fest, then I'll throw down a gauntlet. One of the things that bothers me with horror authors is that, or horror people in general, I feel like they hide behind the idea that it's like, Whoa, they showed me their monster, and I don't like that. You know, it's, and then I'll have, I've had a lot of people talk to me about it. It's like, it's always more scary when you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the fear of the unknown is always scary. It's like, 
yes, to a point. I'm not an idiot. Okay, I understand it. I 100% understand it. But I do feel like there's so many times when people will hide behind that because they're not creative enough to come up with something that's frightening, even in the light. Yeah. So like, I feel like it's like, well, why didn't you tell me what your monster is? Well, because what you can imagine is always worse than anything that I could show you. And I feel like you just, I feel like you were just scared and didn't want to, you know, I seriously feel that way. And I know that that makes me sound like a dickhead, but like, I love the beasties, the ghoulies, the monsters in all of their ugly glory. And I feel like if you're passionate about horror and about frightening and disturbing things, you can come up with things. That's one of the things about the thing that I love. Yeah, is that it's like the thing is just shown to you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so one of um, the most frightening things about horror is that when it's like, it's like, yeah, no, it's well lit. We're going to show it all yeah. to you and it's going to be so fucking terrifying that it's still it's, it's in that way. It almost makes the evil or the darkness or whatever you want to call it. It makes it more defiant in a way, because it's like it won't even be stopped. Because that's the, always the idea, right? You turn on the lights and the evil goes away. Right? Yeah. The, the evil can't yeah. encroach upon the light. But if you turn that on its head, and it's like, we're going to light it really well, and not even the light will keep it away. you know. And then even when you know what's coming for you, it's still that terrifying. And that's one of the things I love about the mask. Well, what a, it, another thing that, that's interesting about this and it's not it goes beyond this scene because this scene is like i said it's the most iconic scene in the movie but it sets up and it it shows perfectly that everyone in this film is killed when they're their most comfortable so there's the girl in the beginning of the film that was having nightmares she was dreading going to this audition but she was comfortable she was safe in her house and she's killed off and then yep. there's the ice skater who was killed doing what she loved. There was Striker who was killed fucking bitches because that's his favorite. <laughs> that's his favorite thing to do. But, yes, um, he was. But uh, you had um the girl. I don't remember her name, but she was the dancer, and she was yeah, like she was pretty much sexually tormented by Striker the entire movie. And her way of overcoming that and you know putting it past her was she was dancing, and she was killed while yep. she was dancing. You have um Samantha who at the end of the film is at peace because she's like, I killed Stryker. I accomplished what I set out to do. She even tells um, and, uh, the, the comedian, she even tells the comedian, she says, call the cops. I yep. did it. You know? Yeah. And so she's at her most comfortable state. And it's really kind of like a, a big fuck you throughout the whole movie because there's so much tension between the characters throughout the entire movie, but they're their most vulnerable when they're at peace. And it's a really interesting dynamic that they set up between the characters. And I don't know if it was an intentional thing that they did to where it was when they're most comfortable is when they're going to die. It may it may have been, it may not have been, but it, it's just an interesting way, way to look at it. It's a great effect. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's um, a phenomenal effect either way. So, spoiler <laughs> alert, the comedian who's played by Lynn Griffin whose name was Patty in the film, was the killer. Uh, she had One set out... Them. Yeah. So, yeah. Samantha killed, was set out to kill Stryker, and Patty set out to kill all the other actresses so she could get the part. And it ends in this way that... I, I had said when we discussed the movie before, I the, when I first watched it, I was kind of like, I feel like that ending was kind of rushed. Like, it, it was such a quick climax, but it, 
the more I thought about it, I was like, this is actually perfect because Samantha accomplished what she wanted to do and Patty accomplished what she wanted to do, but neither of them could win in the end. Yeah. Because yep. Patty couldn't Patty the reason she was doing it was to get the part from Stryker, but Stryker's dead, so the movie's not being made. So everything she had just done was for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And the which, movie Which the, then broke her. Yeah. So the movie ends with her in a mental hospital and she's doing the stand up comedi- the stand up comedy bit that she was doing in the beginning of the film, but for all of the other patients in the, the mental hospital. Well and as Audrey appearing tonight as as Audrey. As Audrey, yeah. Uh, or Audrey. Audrey, 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 Audrey. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, anyway, you're saying that. Yeah, so it, it it's an interesting way that they went about things, and it's everything fits so perfectly in this film for me that it it almost doesn't make sense to me that it was plagued with so many issues because yeah, right. everything exactly. works. Everything and works with this that's movie. What I, 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 I was just talking about earlier. I was like, I have no... This thing had every chance to go so off the rails. Yeah. You know, like hard fucking left turn and it could have been shitty. And I, I don't know how it didn't, but sometimes sometimes the cosmos lines up. You know? But yeah, um, going back to who the killer was, um, all of these actresses were vying for the part of Audra, who was... From everything we could see in the movie, portrayed as a crazy woman. Yes. So in the end, the real killer was Audra. Audra made, I, I like I said. That was, that, that, I, had, I had talked. I had that, talked that was about John that. last I had time. About that that. In the last podcast. And that, like, that's why I was like, I don't know. On this. I don't know if anyone said it this time around. <laughs> I just wanted to mention Rick it. Rick started in on this, and the instant she started, I narrowed my fucking eyes at her because that's like that was on my list of things to talk about. Well, what's the old adage? What's the old adage? When you when you want to learn how to do something and do something well, you take your top ten favorite people and you rip them on. <laughs> you just rip them off. Like, it's like, if I can say it before he will, then it belongs to me and not him in digital land because the episode I said it on doesn't exist anymore. Somebody, well, we'll, so we'll like, hear you say it first. We'll hear you say it first years from now. I'm just fucking around. No, it is, yeah, John, you had brought it up last time where it was interesting because Audra was pretty much like a character in the film without even being portrayed in the film. Oh yeah, she's present the entire time because all of these characters are trying to be Audra or whatever version of Audra they can portray. So <clears throat> if, in that way, since they're all aspiring to be her, Audra's always present because mm-hmm. Audra is this tensioning coil of madness because even Stryker at certain points was like the kind of called the sad clown. And so, well, the sad clown, uh, which is just the, my slang term for the comedian. Because I, I, when a lot of these characters going back and forth, everybody that's listening will have to give me a pass on that. My memory fails me routinely. Okay, so with a lot of names being thrown around, it gets to be really difficult for me to remember all of them. However, I, you know, I can remember what they did in the story. So I call the comedian the, the, the sad clown. And I'll get into a little bit more of that in just a bit. But but the, but even her little scene with Stryker, where she's sitting there in the chair and Stryker's kind of walking around her. And, I, dude, I want to take just a second to talk about, and I'm not going to, I talked about this a lot in the last time we did this. I was so fucking impressed with the guy that played Stryker. 
<clears throat> and every time I see this guy, I love him more and more. Now, I had originally seen him in the Outlaw Joes of Wales. I'm a huge Spaghetti Western fan of all Westerns. And so he was originally in the, the Outlaw Joes of Wales. He was the guy that said, you know, was, uh, you know we're going to hunt Joes of Wales. He goes, I don't want to. I don't want to see, I don't want to hear whales dead. I want to see whales dead. You know, so I'd seen him there, absolutely loved him. And then I was getting a tattoo from Roy a while later, and we watched Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And he was, uh, yeah, Roy's wearing a Killer Clowns from Outer Space shirt right now. Fuck yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he was, uh, was it as Mooney or Moody? Mooney. Uh, Mooney, yeah. yeah. What, what was the last? This is uh, Mooney's town. Yeah. Yeah. Whoopty goddamn you do. <laughs> what do we have here? Yeah, it's like I loved him in that movie, and every time I, I don't catch him in a whole lot, so I don't know if he has a huge filmography. Yeah, he was in um, he was in Dirty Harry. He played the mayor. Oh, okay. And yeah, um, sure. he was sure. also in he was also in uh, Animal House. He played the dean. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> double <laughs> secret for me. Anyway, anytime I see this guy, I I just I I fall in love with him over and over and over again. He's I don't know. There's just something very very striking about him, and um, he's so in, intense. Yeah, <laughs> and in this role, one of the things he's always talking about in the scene. One of, so there's the two scenes that stick out in my mind that have, or I'll say three scenes that have to be talked about. The one is with the comedian, and this will all come full circle. But like I like I said in the very first time I was ever on the podcast, my mind's like a lazy susan. So if you just give me some time, it'll 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 come back around. I'll make I'll, I know that we're on a tight schedule. I'll make this quick. <laughs> You're good. I'll make this quick. But there's three big scenes that I feel like I always have to be talked about. Number one is the conversation between Stryker and the sad clown because it's quite literally his conversation with the closest person to Audra, which is this old ever looming presence. And I feel like that's a really important scene because yeah. you can see in his eyes that he can see it in her because that's one of the only times his, you can see so much of the white of his eyes. Mm-hmm. You can, if you watch him kind of, he walks around her like a fucking cougar basically. And, and he does. Like, I mean, he, he's, he's almost like measuring her. His eyes are really wide. Like he's observing so intently that he doesn't even have a whole lot to say. Now that scene comes even deep. Cause like at the end of that scene, she says like, well, I surprised you by showing you this version of me. And he goes, no, but I think we saw, uh, what was the line? I think we saw a little bit of Audra. We saw a little bit of Audra. So, um, and I think that that's what strikes him in that scene is that it's like, if that's the closest he's seen from anybody to being Audra. And I think that comes on the heels of, cause I believe, does that scene come first, or is it the one with the mask and Samantha? The mask, uh, mask comes, the first. Okay, the mask yeah. comes, yeah. Because she, right, exactly. she says at that part, too, like, oh, do you want me to put the mask on? And he's like, that won't be necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah that won't be necessary. Yeah. And like, that's the thing, too, is like, that won't be necessary because he already sees it. Yeah. You know? He knows how to, like, inspire certain things right, in people. Right, exactly. Like, like, and that comedian, fucking, he yeah. was, like, talking to her without a response. What's, what's, yeah, without a response. Yeah, she's, exactly. like, trying to, like, please him is like just putting her aside because what that's when she becomes enraged and like because that's what comedians get comedians get the laughs they get the they get a response there's always noise they're uncomfortable with silence comedians Mm -hmm. and so like that's the one thing he responds with is silence you know (laughs) the one thing you're uncomfortable with and what's the one thing that samantha would be uncomfortable with to be called out as hard as he called her out Mm -hmm. so it's like She's like, I can prepare, I can do a prepared piece for you. Nope. I've seen them all. I've seen them all. That's not what I want. It's such a beautiful scene. (laughs) 
No words. Yeah. yeah. He, he ends it down on his fucking yeah, knees. Like, two inches from yeah. Seduce me with your eyes. Yes. He goes, be, make yourself ugly for us. <laughs> yeah. Seduce me with terrible beauty. And I love those lines so much. I wrote a line in a, in, in a song off of Kingdom. The song's called In My Twisted Wings. And the line I wrote in there is like, can I show you all the beautiful things? Wonderful disaster in my hideous wings. And so, like, I don't know, I nerd out for that kind of thing. The, the whole hideous beauty thing. The yeah. whole terrible beauty thing. And the whole and, and I feel like this movie encapsulates that in so many different ways. That it's beautifully ugly. Mm-hmm. That it's... That it's... That it's... Uh, terribly beautiful you know, you know what i mean like yeah. it has this grand tragedy like of things it has this grand tragedy of things but it's art at its, yeah. at its, at its core like a murder scene painted in beautiful colors exactly <laughs> it, it's such it's such yeah, it's so beautiful oh, wait a minute somebody's been, de- somebody's been decapitated <laughs> they use it's, the instagram it's filters such a terrible scene but it's so hypnotizing to look at because it's such so beautifully done and that's not just my goal as an artist, but that's also the type of horror I love the most to watch. And so when I watch Stryker pace around and give her this mask, and he says, no words, just your eyes. And then <laughs> you can see her eyes looking at him. He's doing to her what he's trying to get out of her. So when he says, seduce me with your eyes, if you watch Stryker's eyes in that scene, and I've rewatched it since, his eyes and like the muscles around his eyes move and they twitch. So he's seducing her with his eyes, and it kind of this whole movie reminds me so much of Black Swan. If anybody's seen, I, I say if anybody's seen Black Swan, <laughs> like look at some weird avant-garde independent movie that nobody's seen. No, but uh, Black Swan is in the same way. There's that one scene when um, uh, the director starts dancing with Natalie Portman, and they start getting really physical and sexual and stuff like that. And then he stops and he says, like, he said, like, "Did you feel me?" He's like, that was me seducing you when it should have been the other way around. And that whole scene with Stryker and the mask is, was that way. You know, it was like that, that was, Stryker was just very much like, that was me seducing you instead of the other way around. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, as much of a piece of shit as Stryker was, I loved the character so, 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 so much. And I feel like to classify it as just a villain to be entirely cast off as like a villain in a horror movie doesn't do it justice. And I will scream that guy's name <laughs> the rooftops till the day that I die for that very reason. And so, so uh, and then obviously the third scene, which we've already covered, would be the ice skating scene, mm-hmm. you know, from the movie. But I think that like this thing set out from the start. I. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to look at a movie like this and know where they wanted to end up. Yeah. But it was maybe, a mystery. Maybe it was yeah. like the two directors were like, uh, kind of like uh, an art fusion thing. Yeah. It's like, it's, like there's a thing where uh, different artists get together and paint one picture. Oh, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. yeah. And as, if you have one painter, you see a certain style. And you only have one vision. Yeah. And you intermix everything and it ends up like what it is like nothing and like that painting painting would not exist if those like three four painters warring together at that one time right almost like and it becomes uh its own thing a mixture of everything absolutely it's something where i'm i'm 
I'm glad that it turned out the way it did, but there is a part of me that's curious to see what way each person would have taken it had they had complete control over the the project. That's true. I would be a bit worried to know with the slash. You know, I don't think the slasher guys would have had enough patience for some of the death scenes. No, I mean, you if know, you if you um, look at it, I mean, uh, the same guys involved had just previously. I, actually, the same year, because this started filming in 1980, uh, released Prom Night, which I had said we just covered, and I said right in the episode, I was like, this was nowhere near as good as Curtains was, and it, you know, it was released so close together, or it was oh, made in so it was made so close together. So it's like, I I think that when you each, really think about it, like Curtains was so. I don't know if there really is a time for whodunit slashers. Is there real? Is there an era for that? I feel like I, it I got really big in the '90s, but it's always been a thing. Okay. Yeah. I, I was gonna yeah. see in the '90s they had a lot of TV shows with the whodunit slashers. Okay. From, sure. What was it? Um. Uh, uh, was Murder She Wrote in the '90s or was that earlier? Um, I know it was big. Or in is the that 90s. still going? <laughs> I don't think it would have been 80s. I think Murder Shiro would have been 90s to start with. Huh. And, and then, and then I want to say was. Well, yeah, we got uh, to fact check it. It was, yeah. It was 84 to 96, so it, it was around in the 90s. Okay. Yeah, 90s. Okay, and then there was Agatha Christie's Poirot. Wow, wrong. You got peanut butter stuck on top of your mouth? Is that what that is? Yeah. Which was a TV series with the Belgian uh, um, mer- uh, uh, detective. Which is pretty much a ripoff of uh, Sherlock Holmes, but mm. well, and, uh, but uh, still, when was Columbo? Because Columbo would have sort of been up this alley, right? I mean, that's more like CSI, I understand, but Columbo. But Columbo would have been seventies, right? I don't know. When was Columbo? Seventy-one. Um, okay, so yeah, he would. I know he was early, but he would have been more along the CSI train, I understand. But I know that these the sort of whodunit murder mysteries do tend to run with horror if you can put enough blood in it. And I think that any... And I think before we get into ratings, I mean, Dylan's the taskmaster here. I mean, so he can sort of, you know, curb or curb or forelong or forego the conversation. But, you know, in the interest of time, I think we can probably get into ratings here pretty quick. But I think, um, to be said before we do, I remember on the last time we had recorded this, that there was this talk of, I don't remember if it was Dylan or Sierra who had mentioned it, like whether or not this was a straight horror movie. Uh, and, yeah, I don't remember who had brought I want to say Sierra did. It was me! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was me! But, like, I, 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 am, I put it this way. Any, all roads lead to horror if you push the volume knobs loudly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Horror is a genre that it swallows all of the genres. So you can have sci-fi horror, you can have romantic horror, you can have action horror, you can have supernatural horror, you can have uh, scientific horror, anything. Historical that, horror. You can have a story. Yeah, you could. You could have time travel horror if you wanted to. They did it with Terminator. It worked. Mm-hmm. You, the, the original Terminator, I mean, nobody, no James Cameron nerds come after me about T2 or whatever. But, but I mean, like, but the original Terminator was a horror movie. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. It was about a mach- it was serial murdering robot, <laughs> you know, and so make it uh, Arnold, and and so like you can have any of these stories become horror if you push them far enough. Here. 
if you well, turn like the, the volume knobs up, well, like, it, uh, like in a murder mystery, like you'll have a close up of the gun yeah. shooting, and then they find the corpse. The corpse. You turn but, that volume. But if you show the person getting shot and then his head blowing up, yeah, yeah, then it becomes it, hard. It, it, now you're flirting with the line. You know, yeah. if you make it intense enough of an experience, throughout, or you don't you even know. have to show them getting their head blown up, but show their blown up head when you're finding right. the corpse. Show us the gore when it shows up. Yeah. I think that the only real definition of horror is a genre is there's an underlying base of intensity, however you want to accomplish that, whether it's body gore or emotional gore. There, And what I mean by emotional gore is that it's like it's so intense on your emotions that it's almost the same type of grueling experience to where if you'd have been shown hostile, you know, like the same terrible grueling images. Like, like and, in and, The Exorcist? Right, The Exorcist, there's not a whole lot of, there's hardly any blood at all. It's all sort of this emotional gore. I mean, you're shown Reagan's cut up face, but other than that, you're not really shown any real gore. It's just emotional, and it's ethereal and spiritual. So there's this underlying intensity that I think you have to meet, and as long as the story meets this intensity, even by the slightest bit, it's a horror story. And I think that this one met that in spades. I think there was more than enough blood. The striker scene was pretty brutal. He's got that fucking, it's like a four-foot shard of glass sticking <laughs> through his spine. Yeah. That's pretty brutal. You know, and, and uh, when the... Um, when the the um, head in the toilet. Yeah, the head in the toilet. You know, you get a decapitated head in the toilet. You know, I mean, so there's an underlying tone of, like, basic intensity that you meet. And I think any time any time any story meets that, we've got a horror story. So... Mm-hmm. No, I would 100% classify it as horror. You know. I would. Yeah. Let's jump into ratings. Yep, I am. John, what you got? Okay. Um. This this thing was very well put together from the very start, and you're you're pretty aware of that within the first couple of minutes. You know, because um, you're given Striker, I think, from the very first scene, you, you're shown how methodical he is, which, as an aside, was a dick move that he put her in asylum and then was just going to leave her there. But mm-hmm. when you think about it, was kind of brilliant. Like, if you want to get rid of somebody, <laughs> like, if you want to get rid of somebody, what's the best way to do it while looking innocent? You know? Um, I, you know, that, that's absolutely fantastic stuff to me. I think the real icing on the cake that we haven't quite mentioned yet would be the fact that, I mean, now Dylan had mentioned that the killer was the clown. The comedian, but I think the beautiful part of this is the fact that um, I almost think you're given the killer earlier on in the movie when you see the chick who dies beforehand and you see her rape fantasy boyfriend, the fucking mustache guy, right? Mm-hmm. And never trust the mustache. If, if there's any quote to take from this podcast, <laughs> never trust the goddamn mustache. You know. Either way, a uh, lone mustache. A lone mustache. Yeah. If it's a company with a beard, it's all right. It's, all right. it's cool. But uh, never trust the guy. Never trust the guy with a lone mustache with a pantyhose mask. Maybe that's the way to, <laughs> yeah. that's the way to put it. Remember, Damn every it. creeper. No, Damn not everyone with a mustache is a creeper, but every creeper has a mustache. There you go. Yeah. There's a good way to put it. Absolutely. Just like guys with bands. Yeah, guys with bands. Not every. Dude with a van is a creeper, but every, every creeper, creeper has, has a van. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, what I'm getting at though is like I almost feel like you're given you're given the killer early on in the movie. Now, last time we'd recorded this, I know Dylan has a large underlying phobia of dolls. Yep, and uh, they had talked about the doll being creepy as hell. 
and about how it seemed a little bit meaningless when they had gone through it. And now I might be stretching. Okay, so for anybody that might be listening and think that I'm an absolute airhead, let me preface it by saying I might be totally stretching. But when I watch this movie, I don't see the doll as unnecessary. The doll's face to me doesn't look that frightening. Like you see some dolls and they look frightening. This doll to me looks like a sad Pegliaccio. And for anybody that's watching, Pegliaccio is a traditional Italian character from Commedia degli Arte. And that is an improvisational form of stage theater and Pagliaccio was this sad clown character that opposed Harlequin. And so Pagliaccio was a sad performer in a lot of interpretations. And so that's where we get this modern day portrayal of like, you know, the sad, depressed clown. So like, well, and it becomes even more real when we get some of these celebrity suicides. Robin Williams, for instance, was almost the epitome of like a Pagliaccio where like he was the embodiment of joy when you watched him, but he was so depressed and sad, you know, on the inside, like that, that kind of thing. And so like, that's what the face of this doll reminded me of was this Pagliaccio. And so when I was watching this movie, bringing it full circle was with this comedian and she's, you know, she's talking about how she would do anything for the part. She'd do absolutely anything to be taken seriously. And so she started murdering people. So in that way, that's her ultimate way of entertaining. It's her ultimate way of being taken seriously. In that way, the doll's face, which looks like a sad Pagliaccio, looks like this sad clown. You know, and even in the ice skating scene, the first slice that the killer gives with the sickle chops off the doll's head. It mm -hmm. doesn't cut the ice skater. So in that way, it's almost like she can't stand to look at it. So she sliced the head off of it. And I remember we mentioned too, where it's like, well, how do we know that the ice skater would have just found it lying in the snow? I mean, that's pretty convenient. And it's like, I never really saw it that way. I saw it as like she grabbed it out of the house because she's a crazy person. And she's like, fuck this doll. I'm going to find a way to bury it and get rid of it. Because this is what's if, if you've studied people who are mentally unstable, they do very uh, unstable things. So like, I saw that she took this doll and was like, I'm going to bury it in the snow because fuck this doll. And I don't want anybody to find it. And I think the ice skater just happened to find it. Mm hmm. You know, and and so like and so when this ice skater happened to find it, when when the when the uh, the the comedian is skating across the ice, she takes the sickle and slices off the head because she's like, "Fuck this doll!" Because it's everything I hate about myself. You know, and now every and now bang bang slice slice everybody's gonna die. You know, and so what's so enticing about these sad clown Pagliacci characters while we're so addicted it's the same reason I think we're addicted to the Joker as a Batman character because at the at the edge of sanity psychologically speaking when your mind is under so much stress that you can't process it your mind your subconscious is always trying to save you it's always trying to break you back into reality and when you're under that much stress your body will either laugh at the brink of insanity or it will scream one of the two, usually. And it's that's your body's self-defense mechanism to try to make you joyous or try to break your your cyclical schizophrenic thought. And so very rarely do we get to see human beings in their time of breaking. Because that moment when you go insane for schizophrenics of any kind who have a, a complete delusional break from society, very rarely do we see them actually break. A lot of times it's just like, oh, this is Bob and he's schizophrenic. You know what I mean? You just meet him on the other side. Very rarely do you get to see it. And so when we see it in these darker portrayals of humanity, because that's, of course, that's what horror is. We all want to explore humanity. That's the point of art. 
and a horror explores humanity on a very dark level. And because no other things like to do that. And so we explore <coughs> humanity on the darkest levels. And part of that is going insane. And so like, I think that like it, the reason why we love characters like this comedian killer in curtains is the same reason why we love the Joker from Batman, because we get to see them in this, per- this moment, which normally lasts a second between going nuts and staying sane where they're laughing all the time. Normally lasts just a couple seconds. In these characters, we get to see them in this permanent cycle at that very small moment of going insane. And it's this, like when Jack Nicholson drops in, not to say, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I hope that my metaphor makes sense. I mean, not to segue into Batman, but like when Jack Nicholson falls to his death in the end of the original Batman and you hear that laugh track, that, <laughs> you know, like that, that's the point of the Joker is that permanent laugh at the edge of sanity. Same thing with Heath Ledger when he's hanging upside down. 30 stories above his own death. He's not even worried. He just goes, because madness, as you know, it's a bit like gravity. All it takes is a little push. And then he just laughs like a fucking insane person because he's permanently stuck in that same cycle of insanity at the edge. At the edge, you know, when all you can hear is the demons whispering back. And and that's in this the killer from Curtains, you know, I think it's in that same place. And that's why we, and so like when she's giving the standup performance, I thought it was a brilliant ending. Cause like she's stuck in that, in that permanent place where everything just repeats. It's just that same laugh track. It's just that same cycle of insanity. And so in that way, very few, a lot of projects have tried that. Very few have actually pulled it off with any success because it's such a delicate line to walk with. Cause that moment is so short normally between going insane between going insane and staying sane is such a short moment, so it's such a hard, such an easy thing to fuck up. And so for this movie to do it well, to really nail it at every single level, I think everything led into the next. It was a perfect chain. I tried over this last week, because I originally gave it a 10. I was like, maybe I'm, I feel like I'm missing something as a judge. And so I'm like, okay, well, I've got another chance now to go back over it. Maybe I'm missing something. I feel like I would be downgrading it just because. <laughs> like, I feel like I would be downgrading it just because I don't feel comfortable giving it a 10 because I feel like I'm missing something, but I can't. I can't do it. I, I Like, this thing set out to do great things, and I feel like it did. I'm, 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 I'm going to stick with it. I'm, I'm going to give it a 10. Okay. That means every other movie that I've given a 10 would be in that same category, and, and I would cert- and I would put it in there. I, I would. I feel like what it set out to do, it accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave it a 9 when we... Uh when we recorded and I I think I'm going to stick with my nine rating. Um, the only movies that I'd really like, I've put a few movies in the 10 range, um, mainly like evil dead and Texas chainsaw massacre and stuff. But I I don't think that this is necessarily as effective as those films are, but it, it's still really good. Like I, I really can't pick anything out that I didn't like about it. It's just and not, that's, and, that, and that's where I am too. And yeah. that's where I am too. It's, it's like with the Exorcist and stuff. I'm like, I feel like there's something I'm missing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I kind of guessed at the killer before the end of the movie, just because um, I had mentioned it last week when we first did this episode. Was uh, every time it shows, like for example, um, when the one older actress finds the skater girl's head in her toilet. Stryker is with 
the two young like two of the actresses so the only and then the head disappears so the only people that weren't present at that point were samantha and patty and then it's like all of this stuff that is happening like the girls getting chased through the uh prop warehouse and the other girls are popping up and stuff but patty's nowhere to be seen and i was kind of like all right that really doesn't like everybody's dead it doesn't leave anybody else but her but oh, sure. I don't think that, like, me knowing what the ending was going to be, like, I don't think it took away from it whatsoever because it, she, to me, is the only one that would have made sense as the killer. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to stick with my 9 rating. Roy, what you got? All right. Well, I enjoy this movie a lot. I did. It's, uh, like I said earlier, I did a lot of self-reflecting. I feel like, uh, you take each character and you see yourself, like a part of yourself. Like mm-hmm. even like me, I'm old. You see the young person. You see the innocence you had when you were young, yep. and like the progression and uh, the whole "you done it" thing. I the last thing or the last recording we had, John said that we, uh, and I agree with him. I hate when you throw in clues that don't make sense, just for the sake, just of, for the sake yeah. of like plot in that storyline. Yeah. And even though, like, some things didn't make sense, and uh, you could, for example, the uh, the mask scene, when he's talking to Samantha, and he says, what have you done with masks? Yeah. Like, yeah. it doesn't go into too much detail. It allows a bit of your imagination, because later in the movie, you see the whole prop thing, and in my mind, okay, well, maybe that mask was part of a movie that he did earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's uh and it did a great job at throwing suspicion. Well to me, like right. you suspect you suspect one person then the other one without being straight up lying to. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's some movies you you get thrown clues and you start suspecting and then at the end like, well that didn't make any sense. Yeah. Not in this movie. It's like it's like you didn't twist anything, you just yeah. fucking lied. Yeah, to yeah, me. and then, <laughs> Well, I, I feel like I'm gonna think it was the butcher yeah. when yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's in every like in every like whodunit movie there is that one person that it's like they make it very like they pin everything on that person to where you're like okay yeah. they're making it obvious that it's this person so it's not well, gonna be this the, person <laughs> exactly but, the red okay, yeah yeah like, I, I don't know. throw in the like hair. yeah yeah throw in dramatic mute dramatic music and a close-up of the shifty eyes <laughs> and they're gonna suspect that person oh and he had access to knives too. yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah that guy had a cleaver in his back it's the butcher right but at the end of the Why movie covered in but blood at, but at yeah. the end of the movie all these red herrings made sense yeah exactly mm-hmm. you know, and that's getting to like we're not like some things are kind of like led up or left to or imagination, but they make sense. Mm-hmm. So the only thing to me, I probably because it got classified in the eighty slasher oh. movies, it's almost like saying you're gonna get a pizza and you get a flatbread. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, no it, curves. Yeah, There's like no curves. Yeah. Yeah. It could be the I most. I told my bitch would have curves yeah. and just flat yeah. Yeah. It, it could be more. the most delicious flatbread, and it was. But I was expecting sauce and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I was expecting the curves on the crust. Yeah. You know? So yeah. So like that. Like it did not need the blood. Right. But because it got tossed into that category, sure. I was expecting a certain amount. Sure. So I'm. I'm well, gonna be being, being a gore hound's not a crime. Yeah. No. 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 It's uh. So I'm gonna up my previous one by half. So I'm gonna go eight and a half instead of a straight eight. Okay. So you are in an eight. Wow. Yeah, I was in I was in an eight, then I went back and like you know, it, it was a great movie, but because it got and maybe because it was filmed like three years yeah. before it got released, yeah. it could have been appreciated way better when it got like thrown into the midst of the whole slasher and decapitated you saw yeah. so much of the gore. Well, but... and, and when you think about it, they did do reshoots. So it was like if you're yeah. gonna be an anti slasher, you had an opportunity. Yeah. Because they did reshoots, yeah. so it's like Yeah, I think the only you know, Well Which is because so like... the original Halloween didn't actually have that much blood. No. Think about it. Like in terms of it's like well that's the one that like, spawned the slasher genre. Yeah. Well but Yeah, well when it was filmed when it came out, yeah. It fits oh, times sure, yeah. like in to, like I said before, like to get thrown into like the eighties, like slasher, yeah. you expect more gore. Eighties like, blood. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. So like like I said, you want a pizza, you want a pizza, you get a flat bread, and it could be the most delicious. Yeah, plate. it could be great, but it's yeah. not what I ordered. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Are you sure? So I'm gonna. In a thin crust. No, I like it thick. Yeah, <laughs> I like my pizzas like I like my women. Thick. <laughs> and cheesy. And cheesy. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So I'm going to bump it up from an eight to an eight and a half. Nice. All right. Becca, what do you got? All right. Um, well, I'm a big fan of the the mystery genre. I grew up a lot on watching um, Agatha Christie's Poirot. I'm butchering that name. I know I am. But, it, yeah, no, I've always enjoyed watching Murder Mysteries, and um, the last time we did ratings, I did mention the fact that, um, I mean, if we took out the, the the showing of the killings and the severed head in the toilet, showing it, it would have seriously just landed itself in the Murder Mystery category, but thanks to showing these deaths, it did lend itself in the horror genre and um no I, I really enjoyed it the, the one beef I really had and it's a very small quibble uh, with this movie is the fact that um they mentioned the names so quickly and then didn't call people by their names other than Samantha and Stryker mm-hmm. um that I, I couldn't remember people's names at all. Ah, that wasn't the only one. I'm not crazy. The old man's not crazy. <laughs> they, they, they only, like, pretty much gave the names that one time so quickly. And and um, since I was watching with the guys here, uh, I felt it would have been rude to rewind and listen over and over again just to catch the names. <laughs> um, so that's my one beat, that... Uh, they didn't use their names all the time, and they only meant... They got only a meant... bit convoluted. Yeah. yeah when, you're, so, when you're trying to follow, you got to follow... So I couldn't, I couldn't remember their names at all, other than Samantha and Stryker. So that's my one beat. And so, um, because... You got to follow the stereotype driving their 
name. Right. So, so I started just naming the characters by by who they were, like what they did. Okay. So there's the comedian. There's big boobs. There's uh, <laughs> which one was big boobs? Uh, <laughs> big boobs, McGee. Yeah, McGee. He's always good. Uh, big boobs was the one that was getting felt up. Which in the one? Dance You're studio. gonna need to be more specific. <laughs> no, 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 no. Striker was just laying. Not, pipe. not. Well, <laughs> she was felt up by Striker, but this was the girl on girl scene. Where, you uh, didn't for, remember the girl on the girl scene? Yeah, she was the one running through the basements uh, in the last scene. With yeah, the, she was the one running away inside of the... The, uh, the, the whole prop department. The, yeah. uh, uh, wasn't she also the one that was out in the hot tub with the guy that was already... Yeah, gassed? she was. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so she was already out in the hot tub. Matt, or what was his name? Matt? Matthew? Matthew? It was Matthew. Anyway. Yeah. Finish up, so, yeah, I, I, I was taking notes on my phone and I literally called her Big Boobs. I don't remember her name. Like, Big Boobs. So, yeah, that was my one beef. And originally I'd given uh, this movie an 8.8. And you know what? I'm going to stick with 8.8 because I, I don't feel that that was enough to knock down my original um, rating. This is a bit petty. <laughs> So that gives it an average of a 9.1. Fuck yeah. It's yeah. going up. <laughs> Sierra wasn't here to bring it down. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. no, none of that negativity. With her crunches. You know, you know, with her pickles. And, uh, well, 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 you know, you what? know what? I, this had a st- disturbing lack of leather face. <laughs> and with all that said, no, there's no chainsaws hey, in it. Yeah. For, for Sierra... There's my crunch. <laughs> yeah, peanuts over here. She's here with us in I, spirit. All that, all that said, I cannot actually wait to cover the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with that chick. I'm, now, all that said, I could not be a bigger fan of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and so like, I hope that that still happens. Where like we talked about, oh yeah, yeah. In yeah. October, I was going to get the Exorcist and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, and that's, that's still going on for sure. I guess Steve was going to get Evil Dead Halloween. I, it was Halloween, right? Evil Dead Halloween. Halloween two, yeah. Okay, so Evil Dead Halloween 2 and... He's doing uh, Evil Dead. Yep, he's getting... Yeah, but I'm... Yeah, bit, I'm getting The Exorcist and Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, you're getting <laughs> your, your favorite movie. I'm not about to be upset about Oh, no, no, no. Plus, no I, I'm not upset. Plus, I'm, plus, I have the... Like, I know Steve is going to represent. Becca, when we do Evil Dead 2, you can be on. There you go. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I could not be more excited to cover The Texas Chainsaw Massacre with... With 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 Sierra, <laughs> like, like there's so many times it's like it's always comes back to other faces. So I'm gonna like, have <laughs> I'm gonna have flashbacks. Um, if if anyone listening, if you have a chance, go back and listen to the Firefly family episode we did where we covered uh, Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses. Sierra explains the ending of the Devil's Rejects with Freebird, like that whole part. <laughs> And she literally, it was me, her, and Erica recording in my living room. We had the laptop propped up on the uh, on the coffee table, and she literally was, like, leapt up, standing on the couch, like, screaming at the top of her lungs, explaining this part. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I remember listening to that. Like, she was into it. The, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I like, watched I, Devil's Rejects not long before that to keep up, and I was just like, you go, girl! Yeah, I, I feel yeah. like the whole Texas Chainsaw episode is just going to be, like... Nom flashbacks of that. <laughs> yeah. So Sarah, the couch is for sitting. The couch is for sitting. You silly willy. All right, you let's know? talk. Let's talk intruder. All right. All right. Have at it, dude. All right. So intruder 
was released in 1989. It was written and directed by Scott Spiegel, who, fun fact, is he was best friends with Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. They went to high school together. And actually, uh, do you guys remember when we went to, um, not Mad Monster, Days of the Dead, the DVD that I picked up that had all of Sam Raimi's like old high school short films? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah those yeah. were all made. It was him, Scott Spiegel, and Bruce Campbell that had made oh, all those. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. He also, um, prior to making this movie, he had made, he had co-wrote Evil Dead 2 with Sam Raimi. So, um, they're really close. And it's funny too, because one thing that I picked up, cause I had watched all the shorts on the DVD that I picked up and all of the characters have the names like Scott or Linda and oh. <laughs> you get like evil dead. There's Scott and Linda. And then, um, right. in this, uh, Renee Estevez's character's name is Linda. So it's like, you, you get those hints. Well, you just get stuff that you're comfortable with, especially at the beginning of your career. Dude, there's. There's tons of names I reuse just because I like them. Yeah. But yeah, I've reused the name Jack. Or John. Or no, I've only used John once as a character name. But the name Jack, I've used I think. There's a Jack Carson. There's Jack Bradley, and then there's another Jack somewhere in there. Yeah. But but I mean, you just get names you're comfortable with. So I'm just saying, if you go to any artist's beginning history, you start seeing a lot of. congruences you know yeah. between their works and well it was nice too because people. like I, i'm evil dead's my favorite movie and like it's i i just love that whole group like ted raimi sam raimi bruce campbell all that like i i love pretty much anything that they put out so it was sure. it was fun because i had this is another one that this is the first time i had seen it um it was um it's been something that i've wanted to check out for a while and i've kind of put it, it off until we covered it on the podcast so was this a first watch for everybody because it was the first watch for me yeah that was the first time i watched it oh shit yep. uh, Beck, was this the first time watch for you <laughs> yeah this is the first that? time watch for this you might be right was intruder a first time watch for you uh yes Dude, this is a totally fresh take on this then, because this is a virgin take for everybody, because it was Roy's first time too, and that's rare. <laughs> I'll come across a movie that Roy hasn't seen. Yeah, it was like, it was nice though to see that, because it's things that you're comfortable with, like Dan Hicks was in it, and he does a lot of work with them. He was just in Evil Dead 2, where he played, um, fuck, I forget the character's name, but the, the redneck guy who's with Bobby Joe, Jake. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I will say this, man. It One small change in facial features can completely distort your ability to pick up who somebody yeah, is. Because yeah. throughout this, every time we saw Sam Raimi, I yeah. kept looking at Roy. I was like, that guy looks so familiar. <laughs> I was like, who is that? And Roy's like, dude, that's Sam Raimi. And Roy's too nice to say it, but was basically like, that's Sam Raimi, you fucking idiot. <laughs> you know? It's, it, but I was like, oh, okay. Every time I've ever seen Sam Raimi, though, he's been bald. Every single picture I've ever seen him in, he's been bald. You know, and, 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 like, uh, and, and so like, yeah. and he's got a bunch Hairline of hair lines and like, like nose and ice features. Like, if, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's like, now I will. You can see he's a Raimi. I know who yeah. Sam Raimi is, but I'm not like a like Dylan, who's a huge. Ra- I know that you guys are a huge Raimi household. Mm-hmm. Now I like the Raimi just fine, but I'm saying like I'm not like I don't like totally. Geek out over there. No, you, oh, yeah. you oh, didn't yeah. like Spider-Man <laughs> 2? Like, you give me Max von Sydow or Linda Blair or somebody like like somebody from the Exorcist, absolutely. But I'm saying like I 
I like the, I like the Raimis a lot, but like I think Ted is a lot more recognizable than Sam is. Yeah, in terms of facial features. Well, I think it's, so I think what it is too is I think what it is too is that Sam is Sam's usually a director. He's not usually an actor. So Ted, yeah, you're seeing his face more in movies and TV shows and stuff. Where Sam's usually behind the camera. So. But I knew the face. I saw it. I was like, God, I know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> and, but every single picture I've seen him in has been within the last 15 years or so, because. This is a little bit of a throwback. I went through this weird time where, like, I had this little bit of injunction to horror. It got snapped off because the way that I grew up was terrible. So I was worried about surviving at that point. I had a lot of issues with drugs and a lot of other shit going on at that time. So I wasn't worried about horror. I came back into this years later as a man, you know, when I was, like, 25, 26 years old. So I'm in this cool time where I'm, like, seeing a lot of this stuff for the first time, but with an adult's maturity. So I don't have this whole I hate everything shit, which bugs me about today's day and age where it's like everything is wrong with everything. You know, I, I'm in this cool place where like I love horror so much that I want to I, I sit down to every horror movie wanting to like it. I do. Mm-hmm. I sit down to every horror movie wanting to like it. So I'm in this really cool time where I get to see everything for the first time. And Roy was just like, dude, we're going to be such great friends. It's going to be so <laughs> Because Roy is always Roy's always had that childlike kind of innocence about it. now. So the, so the only times I've seen Sam Raimi have been within the last couple of years of where I, you know, saw Evil Dead a couple of years back. Absolutely love it, you know, and I'm very, very familiar with who the Raimis are now. But it's, I haven't been looking at pictures of the Raimis for fucking 20 years or anything, you know. Yeah. So I was like, I'd seen Sam Raimi in every picture because I think in the last couple of years he's always been Paul. And so, like, in this picture, in this movie, he's got a shitload of hair. It's like, you recognize the cheeks. I recognize yeah, the cheeks. That's what I do. Right. Yeah, the guy with the big cheeks. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> yeah, Sam Raimi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the guy that looks kind of like a big penis. You know, <laughs> that guy. Oh, yeah, the phallic face. But, Makes yeah. phenomenal horror movies. But the guy but, with the phallic face. What's funny about this movie is that, uh, so the plot summary for it is the overnight stock crew of a local supermarket find themselves being stalked and slashed by a mysterious maniac. Now, what's funny about this movie is it's heavily marketed as being, like, it's anything you see for it, it says starring Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bruce Campbell made, like, a that was like for 20 right. second Mark appearance. Yeah. I waited all movie long to see Bruce Campbell. I was like, where is he? Where's Brucey? <laughs> he, um, so the reason that he didn't have a bigger role in it, um, Sam and Ted were able to make, you know, decent appearances in it. We actually, uh, when we were at Days of the Dead, we went to this, uh, Ted Raimi panel and somebody had asked him about filming this movie. And he said the only thing he remembers from it was he would, like, go down on the weekends to this grocery store that they were filming at, do his parts, and then go back home for the week. So they they filmed it in an actual grocery store after hours, but um, huh. Bruce Campbell wasn't able to make a, a more of an appearance in it because this was around the time where he was filming Maniac Cop. So I think it was like a scheduling conflict thing with him. But I think Sam Raimi made like it's funny because Ted Raimi's the actor, but Sam Raimi had more of a role than Ted did. Ted kind of just yeah. listened to some groovy ass eighty song for yeah. <laughs> we, like, we were laughing it was so like, hard. It was like the same song like over and over yep. again on his Walkman. Like, but uh, th- this movie, 
I don't know what it is about it, and it might just be like me being biased because I, like I said, I'm a fan of the work that they've done before. But this movie, I fucking loved it so much. Like, it was a fun fucking movie, and it's there's not much there's not much behind it. Like to me, what this movie feels like is um Scott Spiegel had said that he had worked at a grocery store uh, when he was younger, but to me, it's like I feel like this movie is. A really like if you're really bored and you're thinking of ways like ways that someone could die while you're at work <laughs> yeah yeah and he's just like all right cut head cut with a meat slicer perfect we're gonna we're gonna make that into a movie <laughs> yeah like shit like that and I, I thought it was cool and you do get those little like evil dead-esque touches like when um i forget the guy's name danny the other manager gets stabbed and he's bleeding out, and the blood drips on the light bulb, and the whole, like, yeah, light the, in the room the turns room red. red. Yeah. yeah, it's very much like Evil Dead, where the blood goes over the projector and the, fills the light bulbs, and everything's red. So, and, and even before that, you see the whole view behind the semi-empty bottle. Mm-hmm. I think it's like a green shot. Like, yeah. he's doing some, I forget what liquor he's drinking, but he puts the bottle down. And you see the whole shot behind the bottle. Yeah, there's a lot of those. Too. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah. like when she picks them. when she's on the phone and it shows like from inside the phone. Yeah, that, yeah, right. Exactly. And, yeah. It's a, and it's a voyeuristic experience. It's a different way to do the fly in the wall narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so yeah. when uh, I forget the name, but she's sweeping the floor, and you see the shot of the floor as she's sweeping it. Yeah. And then, right, and it's like every chance they could take to do that, they did because yeah. What's the what's the most frightening? thing i think one of the most unsettling statements as a human being that you can read in a book or whatever you're reading and then all of a sudden it it says like they felt as if they were being watched Mm -hmm. because it's like why are you being watched you don't know but you feel as if you're being watched and so like the idea of voyeurism yes what you know public voyeurism is is a very unsettling idea and so that's obviously what's underlying in this entire movie because you know, the like idea of an yourself intruder, yeah. because the idea of an intruder is that's what's frightening about it because it's like you could be being viewed from any vantage point. You know, from you could be outside being the grocery store. From... Yeah, yeah, you could be being observed from outside the grocery store. You could be being observed from inside, and in this way, you're almost being observed by the store itself. The store itself is almost an intruder to your subconscious. You know, because it, beca- it, it becomes what's intruding you because you're never given who the person that's killing everything is until the very end. Mm-hmm. You know, and so in that way, what's getting everybody is the store because because everything that everything that you get to see that's seeing everybody is like an object. Because even in the in the office when they're they're signing documents and stuff, um, you get it from like his phone. You know that like they have a camera view from his phone you get a camera view from his desk you get a camera view from yeah. like behind the, the bottle you behind the bottle from like the telephone from the box on the shelf so in that way it's almost like what's observing you the store itself yeah and it almost makes observing. the store its own character yeah which is, you would never think like oh setting for a horror movie that's frightening as fuck grocery store mm-hmm. people would probably giggle until you shoot yeah. it that way like once and you when shoot you shoot uh, it that way, it's like, oh fuck! <laughs> and when when he gets to a the, lot of open space, and when you get to the door and you have no control over, you cannot get out. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Those doors are locked from the outside. Literally. Yeah. So it's like once they're locked, you're locked in. Yeah. So you're yeah in this space. You cannot get out. And, and I can and I can vouch for that. There's something very frightening about open space. There just is. And when I was in college, I went I went to when I was an undergrad, I went to college at a place called Dallas City State University. Now, this is a 200 year old building that's been preserved in the National Congressional Hall. Historical society. Or whatever the fuck the thing is, but it's preserved in Congress for like the National Registry of Historic Places because it's so old and stuff. And, it's, and it was, and it's, I it's believe it was like one of the first universities established in North Dakota, despite what the fucks at NDSU and UND want to say. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so this is a really, really old building and it's three buildings that are actually connected, right? And so they have these long hallways on first, second, and third floor where literally, the hallway that leads between all three buildings is so it's like it's like three whole buildings that are combined into one if that is making any sense to anybody so when you're walking these hallways on first second and third floor you can see probably 600 yards and you can see down the hallway that goes that far and there's and i used to work night shifts for facility services i was a fucking janitor right and so i was vacuuming carpets and cleaning toilets and shit and so like late at night literally. when it's like when it yeah yeah clean toilets and shit literally but literally when it's like 10 o'clock at night and i worked until i believe it was 11 or 11 30 something like that and so like 10 o'clock at night or whatever i'd be vacuuming no one else is in the building you know and i'm the only one that had keys it's a very uns the idea of open space and being alone inside of it is an unsettling Aspect. There's got to be some vocab word for it, and yeah. I'm surprised I don't have it at this point. <laughs> but, but no, but 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 there is when, when you hear a noise and in it's open space way yeah. down there, and you're the <laughs> only one that's supposed <laughs> to be there. Yeah, and so a grocery store they have a lot of those shots too, where shot from and then taking it back to this movie now, right? Because like I've I've experienced a lot of that. We're like, and then the hallways though are very narrow. So, like, in those hallways, you can see these corridors. So, like, you can see 600 yards down this one corridor. So, like, what was always frightening about that to me is, like, you could see somebody step out 600 yards away. Mm -hmm. There's a little speck on the horizon, but it's going to take them how long to get to you. But even that is still an unsettling prospect, you know? Yeah, and that's happened where I had seen people that weren't supposed to be there. And, like, his little specks way far away because these hallways were so long. You know, it was almost, it was like a, it was like a Stanley Kubrick movie, you know, where his hallways were so long and it was like, it was so quiet and elevators would go for no reason at like 10 o'clock. Now the, there's a long standing story that Valley City State University is haunted. They've had tons of paranormal investigators come in and investigate the whole thing. And they're basically like, yeah, it's haunted. Like, <laughs> and the wagon wheel, which is an old place up on the hill just above the university is an old Indian burial ground. That's literally what the medicine wheel is is it's quite literally a monument to the Indians that are buried there. So there's, you know, it's just, it's quite literally the cheesiest story you could ever imagine. It's built on an old Native American burial ground, but it's, it's legit. It's on an actual, it's on an actual Native American burial ground. So my point is though, is that there's weird shit that happens at this university. And so being in this little tube that goes a long, long ways is very, very unsettling. So being in an even emptier space of like a grocery store coming back to, intruder now right and there's a few of those shots that you get them from the phone from the objects and everything else but you get these shots from the corner of the store you, you know you, dylan 
don't know if I'm making sense. Like you get these shots in the corner of the store where you see the whole thing panned out in front of you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so it's like it's from the corner of the store, and you get to see the other 98% of the store is just this big open shadow, basically. And the and the store doesn't become ominous until you take measure of how much space is between you and whoever else. And you would never think that there's so much space to hide in a place like that. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, it's so... Well, like, think about it. Like, when they're... Uh, they're one of the scenes where... One of the cashiers. What's her name? Um, there was Linda and... The blonde girl that was going out with the shithead and leather jacket. The main girl? Yeah. Um, well, Jennifer. Jennifer. There's one scene... Her and her new love interest. The the guy that comes in and asks her out. Um, uh, Craig... No, not Craig. Craig was the asshole one. Um, Dave... Okay, we'll go with Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good enough to me. Um, so, like, Dave comes up, hugs her, they start kissing. He puts her on, like, the conveyor. That's yeah. it. That's, and, like, and, they, and you can tell that that sound is taken from the, like, it's mic'd up in terms of, like, the sound production from the store itself. And that's a very cavernous sound. You can hear the echoes on their laughter. Mm-hmm. You know, you can hear how much space that this thing is occupying. You know, and it's like, Okay, so it's like, if that was that loud, just these two people kissing and having a good time was so loud, where would this guy have to hide? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's very unsettling when you start thinking about it that way. It's like, it's but, like, then, but then you have to also think, to too, is... You're walking from all the way across the store if it yeah, was that yeah. silent. You know? What you have to think, too, is, though, is... It's somebody that they knew. So he could have been walking around the whole time people were getting killed and nobody would have suspected it. Well, yeah. right. And, and that's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm saying. I'm not using that. I'm not cutting this down. I'm saying yeah. that it's that much more unsettling because of it. Yeah. So, like, you hear footsteps across right. the store. Yeah, you think it's somebody else. Yeah. Right. It doesn't become nefarious <laughs> yeah. until yeah. the end when he's got the blood on his hand with the phone and he looks back at her and it's like, oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now what, what took me out her, what took me out for this those movies that you hear somebody coming and they think it's somebody else. Mm-hmm. Hey Bob, is that you? And not to the head. What took me out of this whole movie was uh well not really took me out of it, but um all of the posters for this movie and the trailer for this movie give away who the killer is. Like, oh, do they really? Yeah, we like haven't you... seen any of it. Okay, so this is a total virgin watch for all of us. So I, I haven't seen any of the promotional stuff for it. So yeah, see, I looked up the trailers when we said we were going to cover them because I was like, yeah, I'll, like I, I actually sent them to Erica and Sierra. I think I sent them to you too, John. And I was like, you know, this is the movie that we're going to cover, and it shows right in the mo- in the trailer who the killer is. So I didn't know going into it that they were setting it up kind of like a whodunit thing. Or that they were going to try and frame the douchebag ex-boyfriend or anything. So, like, the scene at the end where Bill is like, oh, I just love the store so much, and I got carried away, and he's, like, got Which the blood on his hand and stuff. brilliant. It's literally right in the trailer for the movie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't watch that then, because the Mark then. Well, look, I'll be blunt about it. Then that marketing was terrible because 
Yeah. Because I th- I think going into this yeah. entirely blind, because Roy had talked to me before we watched this, Roy was like, I have not seen Intruder. And I'm like, okay, so we'll just watch it here. So it was a total mm-hmm. first time watch for all of us. And I think if I'd have seen that trailer, it would have ruined it. If yeah. I would have known yeah. immediately who the killer was. Because here's the deal. When I watch these whodunits, I know a lot of people can suspend themselves from the story and can kind of keep themselves out of outside of it and to like kind of be um, critically thinking about who the killer might be. I am not one of those people. I'm, I like to give myself over 100% to what the movie is doing. That's just fun for me. I love horror so much that I want to experience it the way that they wanted me to experience it. So I go into this 100% being like, look, I'm your vessel. What? Give me your story, you know, as you would have it told. And so, uh, uh, that said, you know, I come into this and, and I do have a couple thoughts running through my head, even despite that. So like, even though I'm lost in the character stories and everything else, I do have a few thoughts going through my head and I feel like what's coming back in the style is letting the killer be who you were supposed to think it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, we're going to tell you that it's this guy, and that's the obvious red herring, and then it's like, no, it straight up ends up being the shithead. You know? And so um, I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, something on top of my head. I'm, I'm blanking now, but I feel like that would be kind of a cool move to where it's like people would be like, oh, it's not that guy because red it's herring, too right? obvious. Yeah, yeah, red herring, right? And then it's like, nope. It's straight up that I told you from the very start. You know, I, I wasn't lying. Was this, this was so weird. I had that thought in this movie when it was like, I was like, oh, everybody's like, oh, you know, it can't be Craig because it's too obvious. I was like, you know what? I feel like it is mm-hmm. because I feel like it's so obvious that that what's the best yeah. way to what's the best way to hide in plain sight? Yeah. You know, and so that was kind of the thought I had on it. And had I seen that trailer where I saw him going crazy, it would have ruined everything for me. Because I yeah, thought that reveal was so brilliant. The, okay, now the instant he comes walking out the first time, I was like, oh, shit, he's walking really slow. I knew that, like, yeah. okay, he had done everything, but it was so great. You know, and it made sense because it was like, oh, he cracked me in the head with a hammer and I just now will fucking woke up. It made sense. Craig cracks mm-hmm. him with a hammer... You know, I could see him passing out and not dying. You know, they didn't lie to you, you know. Yeah. And so I was like, no, it's totally cool. Like, you know, so I, had I seen the trailer, it would have been totally cool. Yeah, we, we had said, too, watching, um, when we watched the movie, because I showed Sierra the trailer, too. And I, like I said, I didn't know that it was going to spoil anything, because I, I thought that it was just set up from the beginning that he was the killer. So watching it, like, halfway through the movie, so was like, well, we already know who the killer is. And I was like, yeah, I don't think we're supposed to know who the killer is. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the marketing team got to tell us who the killer yeah, is. Yeah. The marketing yeah, team royally, you know. I love that guy in the boots, man. He looks so, that guy actually kind of looks like my dad. <laughs> like a young version of my, my dad's quite a bit taller than that guy, but, like, he looks like a young version of my dad for sure. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. You can ask yeah. Becca. Like, that'd be Becca's father-in-law, you know. So it's, if I'm lying, I'm dying, you know. My, now, my dad's only got one arm, you see. But but uh, he looks a lot like my dad. And so, he, and so, like, watching him in that movie, it was almost like... If your dad was a serial killer. Yeah, it's true. You know, capital F. Yeah. <laughs> but, There's like... A, um... 
there's there's a lot of parts in this movie that uh, I the only one that I can really think of off the top of my head is uh th- see there's parts in the movie and I know that they do it more than once where the camera kind of plays tricks on you and I thought it was really cool how they've done it um the one that I'm thinking of specifically is the part with Ted Raimi where he's lifting the knife over his head and slamming it down and it just shows the knife like above his head coming up going down and then yeah. at one time it goes up and it goes down but it's the killer with the knife and it goes that into Ted Raimi's head. No. Is that Ted's death scene you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And sure. that's a Wait, great a classic eighties slasher. Yeah. You show a close up of the weapon going coming in. down. Yeah. It's like you give him the straight up glory. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's like yeah. you close up. I, I wasn't expecting it because the way they had done it, because there was no cutaway. It literally it was Ted's yeah. arm going up and down and then all of a sudden it was the killer's arm. I feel like Ted, I feel like Sam. Well, okay, now Sam wasn't the one that made this, right? Sam was just in it. Yeah, he just starred in it. Well, did he acted in it? Yeah. Okay. Well, either way, I think a lot of this '80s horror. Well, no, now that I think about it, I don't. I can't remember. Well, no, Sam Raimi has a couple of them, like an Evil Dead or whatever, where he's got close-ups of the gore. Evil Dead's a lot. There's a yeah. lot of close-ups of the gore. I feel like Sam Raimi is like. What Fulci, what what Lucio Fulci wanted to be, <laughs> you know, like there's tons of the focus on the gore, but there's an actual engaging story behind it. Yeah, you know, I, I, and and that's one of the reasons why, like, I love the Raimi brothers so much because, like, I've been on a couple of different forum boards. One of one of the things I like to do, I like to do a lot of different research on everything in the horror genre. See, like, I always feel like. Hey man, I'm open. Maybe there's something I'm overlooking. Maybe there's an aspect of some filmmaker, something that I'm overlooking. You know, well, so I and, like to do. And if you love something, why not? Yeah, look deeper right. Into exactly. It. Yeah. Look mm-hmm. deeper into it, and I'm. I like being. Even if people are going to say negative things about people, I like. I like reading them because it gives me a broader appreciation for the both the positives and negatives. Because that's really the only way to truly enjoy whoever you love, right? It is yeah. to take everything in stride. And so, um, one of the things about the Rainies, you know, that I was reading on some of the forum boards and stuff, it's like, they love gore, and they're always going to give you the gore, even at the detriment of story, and it's like, I completely disagree. Like, I, I, I to this day, I can't come across anything the Rainies have been directly involved with. I think they give the impression that maybe they forsake story because you feel like it should be that way, but it never really comes across that way. And I think this movie is a perfect example of that. How many times, there was a lot of times when I'd get a death scene or something, and I was expecting to, like, have the story derail and become irrelevant, and it never did. Mm -hmm. You know, and I feel like that is a standing mission statement for the Raimis in general. And maybe this movie just gets lucky, because I know that the Raimis didn't make it, you know. Yeah, but but uh, you know what? Fuck it. The Raimis are in it. They're a big name. I'm gonna blow it up and go there. <laughs> you know? But like, I feel like that's a standing statement for the Raimis is that it's like everybody. I feel like wants to say that they do this at the detriment of story, but I've looked for it and I can't see it. I feel like you feel like it's gonna happen and then it doesn't. You know, mm-hmm. and, and 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 I think it's because they're not shy about the gore. You know, and, and I think there's this weird mantra that haunts gore. 
where it's like, if you like gore, you don't like story, you know, and I don't yeah. live in that world. I don't see the two as mutually exclusive. I think you can have the two of them together. Yeah. And matter of fact, I think when those two meet, it becomes the most powerful kind of story, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that's why the Raimis are so goddamn addictive in the horror genre, because they understand that there's this beautiful place where gore and emotionality meet. And one of the things that strikes that sticks out of my mind, the death scene with the bandsaw or whatever. Yeah. Right. And I, and I could tell it was the first time watched for Roy because we went to the bandsaw. He was running his head across the bandsaw. And even Roy, who's the biggest horror junkie I know, he starts cutting his head in half. And Roy's even like, oh, <laughs> like even Roy was shocked. Oh, yeah. Sierra did, Sierra did the same thing. Yeah, like it. Oh th- shit. Yeah. There, there's not much. Like cause I, I feel like at this point we've become desensitized a lot to it. But um, there's not really a lot when we watch horror movies to where we're kind of like cringe up or like aren't really expecting too much. But there was a few scenes in this movie that Sierra, when we were watching, was just like, ooh, and like closed her eyes and backed up, like. Not expecting the, it the, at all. That, the like, head scene was a bit rough. Yeah. Like, yeah. like normally when I watch movies with John, the only, he he's talkative. But this is one movie where all of us were like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were all exclaiming when people were dying. Yeah. The it death was... scenes were. Yeah, no. The the death scenes were were very well placed. I thought, you know, yeah. and yeah. I don't want to belabor a point or drag a, conver- a fun conversation out to a place where it's not fun anymore, but I think the blood was perfectly late yeah. Yeah. throughout all of this. I really Roy, feel that way. But I feel like I feel like the real... I, got it here, I, got it. I, I feel like the real beauty of this thing... I feel like the real beauty of this thing, and if I'm lying, I'm dying, and like I said, I'm not the taskmaster of this show. That'd be killing. But if I'm, if I'm wrong, feel free to correct me. But I feel that the real beauty of this thing was was who was the actor that played the killer? I'm Dan uh, Hicks. Dan Hicks. Yeah. I feel through the beauty of this movie was that guy. Here yeah. comes Clark. Here Clark. comes the be- one of the best monologues I think uh, it's ever been handed down. Here comes fucking Parker walking <laughs> down eight mile with a fucking severed head in one hand and a goddamn sandwich in the other. <laughs> and I make you the job that same line gets uh Inserted into uh, raising Arizona. Ra- yeah, raising yeah, Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. So it's like if Nicolas Cage is going to mention it, yeah, <laughs> you know it's got to be good. Say <laughs> fucking head of the other, yeah, fucking head of the other. And so, like the first time he delivers that monologue, it's very disarming. And then when it comes back, I nerded out for that so fucking yep. hard. When he's uh, he's got the sandwich. Does he have a head? Yeah, yeah, yeah he he's got, because he holds out um, what the other owner's head out of the aisle or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's no, fucking walking, the, and he's walking the down. The, that was, uh, and it's yeah. the way it's lit. The way it's lit, I geek out for that so much. I love. That's great. I love blue lighting and white lighting. In when you get black, when so, you get to live out your own story, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's fantastic. Exactly. And so, like, uh, and so, like, blue lighting and white lighting on black, I'm such a huge fan of. And if you go back and watch that movie, when he's giving the monologue, when he's got the decapitated head and his sandwich in the other hand, it's this, there's this, 
they give you the spotlight too. You can see the spotlight in the scene. It's coming down from like the corner of the store, like a security light would be. Mm-hmm. But it's beautiful lighting, you know, and it's so striking because it makes everything look like bone. And that's one of the reasons I love it so much. And so when he's walking down the aisle, he, just, he doesn't say anything for like the first yeah. 10 seconds. He's just walking, swinging the head, and he shows her the sandwich or whatever. Like, Fucking beautiful. I was like, who thought of this? Give that man a million dollars and just let him sit at home and write scripts. Well, it was, the whole thing was really well thought out. Because, I mean, even um the part where she hides at the end of the aisle and the bottle's broke and everything, it's like, I don't know how he's going to find her in this. because And it shows, like, the blood mixing with the whatever was yeah. in the bottles, and yeah. that's how he finds yeah. like, yeah. it. It's so well thought out. But at the right. same time, it's such a simple thing that, like, they're... It's and it's the same reason why I love Evil Dead so much. It's they they went in with this low budget and they had to be creative and they had right. to use their imagination and think how are we going to make this scene work to it's where gorilla, it's effective. It's, it's, yeah, it's guerrilla it's guerrilla filmmaking in its yeah. finest. And it, it's all those stories of necessity, you know. And um, I, and acting becomes a lot of that. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like you find the right dudes for the right Art. And even though even when you think about it, it's like, okay, why did he go nuts? You know, what's the reason, right? That's what everybody wants is the goddamn motive. You know, what did he have to go nuts? Well, I couldn't let him take my store, so I offed the owner. Well, why did you kill everybody else? I guess I just really love this store. <laughs> and, I, and I got carried away. I was like, that's so brilliant. I was like, that's fucking brilliant. One line makes the rest of the yeah. movie makes the rest of the movie possible yeah. mm-hmm. and, that's and how much of a slap threat. in the face how much of a slap in the face is it that the police finally come at the end and they get set up for it yeah right exactly and i thought the only thing missing from this movie the, the only thing, thing would have been like at the end bruce campbell shows up or whatever sees the guy in the phone booth whatever else right and then like and uh and then like as he's laying there when he'd been like Instead of saying officer, if you would have just said Parker, <laughs> and like Bruce Campbell would have been Parker, you know what I mean? Like Parker from fucking Eight Mile with his sandwich in one hand <laughs> and the cafeteria. If he's been like Parker, they did it, <laughs> you know. And the Bruce Campbell would be like, oh shit, or whatever the guy's name was. Was it Bill or Steve or Bill? Yeah, Bill. I'll just say, oh shit, Bill. Bill, I didn't know you were running this store now. Oh, God, you tell me they did it? <laughs> yeah, Parker, they did it. So it's like Parker from 8 Mile would have been Bruce Campbell. Yeah. I thought that would have been so fantastic. Just as a little, it wouldn't have mattered to the story. Yeah, no, no. no, just like no. a little, little nudge to, yeah. to the fans. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would have been fantastic. But, I mean, this thing, I mean, the, yeah, the, can we talk for a second about how much Ted Raimi loved that one song? <laughs> <laughs> I think what it was, too, is it was probably just some royalty-free song that they're like, we don't have to pay for this, so just keep looping it. <laughs> <laughs> keep looping it. This fucking weird, like, facial structures and stuff. Absolutely. Like, he's just cutting water. Like, what? what is it? What was that? Uh, Lost your job, Dave, or whatever. Doesn't yeah. even hear him. You know, yeah. Lost your job, Dave. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, the only objection to this movie is uh, the whole uh, 
getting uh, false, well, being lied to. It's uh, yeah. They set it up yeah, that it was no, no, dickhead. No, no. When you see a lot of death scenes, you see, you don't see the person. You see an arm. Yeah, and, and you like see a, coat or a leather cup. Yeah, which makes you suspect Craig, the guy. Yeah. yeah. I think it was like, it, was, I, it always reminded me of like a Michael Myers mechanic trench coat. Yeah. I was like, who's no, supposed no, to be well, the killer? Yeah, no. You At know. the beginning, you see the uh, suspected killer. You see, okay, you hear like this, like ominous, suspected music towards the killer. The, uh,. What, what's the name of the guy that comes at the beginning? They got out, out of prison. Yeah, great. And then throughout the movie, you see you don't see the person. You see the arm, and you see a leather cup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As I see, you telling me that Bill just wore a leather jacket every time yeah, he killed people. Just <laughs> <laughs> no, and he's like, I don't want to be. You know, I, yeah. I dead men tell no tales. Yeah, I'm not gonna take any chances. Yeah. You know. And to me, at the end, all you needed to do was when he's walking down eight mi- nine miles, if he would have put on a, a leather jacket, <laughs> that like, hey, like, look at me and my, like, uh, oh, no, no worries. It's just a bottle under the table. If you had shown the killer in, like, a slight moment, in that leather jacket, it would all make sense. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so it's like you have one or two options. You can show the killer in the leather jacket to make it all make sense, or you can yeah. just be like, yeah, we look fucking idiots. One, one, <laughs> one thing that I wanted to happen in this movie so bad was uh, in the beginning, Craig comes in and he starts a fight with everybody, and uh, one of the characters is talking to Ted Raimi in the back and they're like oh yeah craig was here starting something and ted's like yeah i kicked his ass once yeah. Yeah, i would have i would have loved if like he came yeah. i would have loved if like he came in the store again to fuck with them and like ted Raimi walked out of the back and the dude just booked it out the front door <laughs> <laughs> like i ain't gonna fuck with ted Raimi. yeah so, or what uh, you could have done a couple really cool things with that scene like, yeah, I kicked his ass one time, and then somebody would be like, no, you didn't. Pull uh, Chris Farley from Billy Madison. <laughs> it's like, you kicked his ass one time. I kicked his ass one time. No, you didn't. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> but you could imagine if I did. No. No, no, I can't. No, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I want to rate this movie because I'm curious to see what everybody thought okay. of it. So, John. Okay, so what's the one thing that everybody remembers from this movie? That it's a grocery store serial killer. But I, I suppose, because it all it all happens in one night, doesn't it? I'm, I'm bummed yeah, they yeah. didn't actually stab a cereal box. <laughs> and then have the, the cereal box. Especially since, like, this whole movie had that slightly campy feeling to it all mm-hmm. movie long. But not too much. Not, not too, too not, much. That's why I said slightly. Yeah. That word slight. means a little bit. And I think, and when you really think about it, it was only Ted. Yeah. Yeah. It's really That one repetitive song. Yeah. His facial features are weird. Yeah. His fucking weird little. Yeah. And so, um, anyway. Uh, so, yeah. The, the one thing that everybody picks up from this movie <clears throat> is a grocery store serial killer, but it, I believe it all happens in one night, doesn't it? 
Yes. Yeah. So it's not a serial killer, it's a spree murder. So grocery store. That's the only time I've ever seen that. Ever. I can't bring anything else to mind that even comes close. Can anybody else? No, the I only don't. thing that I can think of that comes to mind is in uh I don't know why, but it probably be just because it's the only other thing of its kind, but in the remake for My Bloody Valentine, there's like the whole scene that happens in the grocery store. But other oh, than yeah. Other than that, like, that comes to mind instantly with this movie, but like I said, I think it's literally just because that's the only other thing of its kind. Yeah, yeah. Well, at its base, I think when I settled into this, I expected it to be everything that I expect from 80s horror. Now, for everything that everybody loves from 80s horror, it is not usually to be remembered for critical acclaim, generally. Like, Story and uh, <clears throat> story cinematography and like critical engagement are usually not something that 80s horror movies are concerned with. I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, that's indeed. <laughs> and <laughs> how <laughs> doesn't mean that I like them any less, it just means that uh, I think that you know, I, I think that that's a fair statement. So, I was expecting that. And I, when I started getting some of these strange shots of um, the voyeurism from around the store, not just voyeurism from the critical aspects, like you get it from the windows, yeah, but the not phone. just that. Yeah, the yeah, phone. The phone. And, they, and, and it wasn't the floor. And it wasn't just from the phone. They put they put uh, a plastic covering over it with the little rings yeah. of a turnstile yeah. phone. Yeah. The rotary. Yeah, the rotary from a turnstile phone. And so I was like, you were supposed to be seeing it from the phone's perspective. Now, are you dumb enough to, now, the internet trolls and the Reddit trolls are going to be like, what do I want to see a scene from the phone's perspective? It's like, it's like the phone's not alive. We yeah. know that. <laughs> moron. You know what I mean? And I, I cannot hate on those internet trolls more. You know. The phone's not alive, but the FBI agent listening in on it is alive. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, 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 The phone's not alive. We're not to believe that it is. The point of it is quite literally, what is the point of cinema? To view a story from an artistic perspective. That's the point of cinema. And if I'm wrong, I will happily fall on the sword for anybody that wants to take me up on that. But I feel like it is an artistic way to view to view a story and explore the human condition. That's what I feel like the point of cinema is. And we get scenes like that from the phone or the floor or the window, just these weird vantage points. To create senses of goddamn dread, because we're in the horror genre, because we're doing artistic ways to create the same sense of dread that people would feel if they were in the same situation. How many people, yeah. if you've ever worked an overnight shift in any place, mm-hmm. right around 3, 4 a.m., middle of the night, there's just a weird vibe that goes around when you know everybody else is asleep, and sound seems to travel the furthest at that time. You know, so like the sound travels and you hear the echoes long before you hear the original sounds almost. 
And everybody's like, nah, man, fuck that shit. I'd fucking, I'd, I'd, I'd lean back and I'd rip the killer's face up. I'd rip it off. That's what I would do. It's like, no, you fucking wouldn't. You would be just as unsettled as everybody else. So how do we create those feelings of dread? How do we yeah. create those feelings of unsettlement with cinema? We do things like this. So we get in the mindset of what we're actually trying to do, right? We're like, okay, what are we trying to create for this story? The movie's called Intruder. We're trying to create the sense of dread. Because like the slasher thing, Halloween had started that in 78 with the first person view from behind the mask, mm -hmm. right? And I feel like this is the next evolution of that. We're not, she's telling me the killer's hiding in the phone. No, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying this is the next evolution of creating that sense of dread of being observed, you know, from all of your surroundings. Because I'm telling you, if you've been awake at weird fucking hours, and I've been awake at a lot of weird fucking times because my sleep schedule is so messed up from everything that I do that I, you know, I don't, I don't have a sleep schedule. I just sleep whenever my body rests. And there's weird things that happen at all points of the day. And you'll look at things that seem weird at a strange time of night that wouldn't be weird at another time. And so in that way, we see the phone. The phone's not weird at 10 in the morning. Getting a call at 3 a.m. <laughs> is fucking yeah. weird. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And so you get that view from the phone. And, and knowing that and bringing that onto the screen is a very, very striking way to create a sense of dread in a movie that was hell-bent, that was hell-bent for stereotypes and schisms and, yeah. and, and parody. Like, that's, that's where this movie was heading from the yeah. start. And so it's a really cool, creative way to be like, no, they are taking this seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I was, as soon as I, I think it was the phone. I think that's the first one. Is that the yeah. first one we yeah. get? The, yeah. the first strange yeah. object we get viewing things. It's far from the only one, but I'm saying I think it's the first one. And it's the rotor. It was the first one we get. And I was like, that was the first striking one to me. I was like, oh, okay. So we're not it. We are not in the horror comedy. You know, I thought we were going to go there, but we're not. We're, we're taking this seriously, you know, and, and, and and there's not a lot of emphasis on soundtrack. It's one of the other things I noticed about horror movies too. The more seriously people take things, the less the sound, the, the less sound we have, mm -hmm. because silence is almost the epitome of sound when you think about it. Because because music is really just silence peppered with sound. You know the, that's all that it is, and so yeah. silence speaks more to human beings than anything else, and so. That's one of the things we get in these horror movies. The more serious the horror movie, generally, the, the lesser the soundtrack. Yeah. The more we just hear their words, the more we just hear their movements. The, like I talked about earlier, the clickings on the floor from all the way across the goddamn building. You know, the more we hear those things. And all of those things were taken into account, which was surprising. I, I was actually shocked by it, to be entirely honest with you, because that's not... I, in the first 10 minutes of this movie, I was, I was so, I was like, okay, so this is an 80 slasher, right? Yeah. That was my first take on it in the first 10 minutes. I was like, oh, that's not where we're going at all. You know, there's a lot of silence. There's a lot of silence. Think about this. You know, there's a lot of silence in this movie. Like, the, uh, how much soundtrack can you actually pick out in your head? I mean, think about it. I'm going to open this up on the floor. 
I'm gonna open this up to the floor. How much soundtrack can you actually pick out? Ted Raimi's looped song. <laughs> yeah, the, the looped. The looped. Yeah. Other than that, and who listens to that shit, by the way, on a tape for three hours? Yeah. <laughs> but no, that. Uh, other that than looped. that, it's, it's silence, and it's whatever uh, sounds are going yeah. on. Oh, then uh, I forget the name of. What was the name of the guy that just got out of prison? Craig. 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 For the fourth goddamn time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Close up on him. Looming music. And it was, you... o- but it was only in the beginning. And it was only when he first showed up. Mm-hmm. So it's like, but all of but that. But that music... was enough to make you. To make you think that it was him. a killer, right? Yeah. But I'm looking at this just from like a cinematic perspective. Where yeah. I was like, after the first 25 minutes, the soundtrack was gone, yeah. and it was just it's the a, and it was just the sounds well, of the environment. Uh, well, and I talked we, about this when we did our cover of uh, I think it was um, Cat People when we covered 1940. It was that yeah. 40s horror. Yeah. Well, we it covered, was, or, well, yeah. But, but was that well? You know, you've seen Cat People, right? Yeah, and that was like the first. Yeah, and that was the. I think the uh, first, uh, we call it the the. uh, Come on now, I'm banking on you. Don't let me down. (laughs) The uh, the uh, almost, almost, almost almost complete. Yeah. All right. When you think of it, cut me off. But but here's what I'm saying. I had talked about this in uh, it wasn't for cat people, but I talked about cat people's usage of silence versus versus um, what was the one with Bella Lugosi, uh, White Zombie. White Zombie, yeah. And I, and I talked about how nature has its own soundtrack, and I feel like it's better because there's moments in White Zombie where the silence and the sound of the of, the environment around them is yeah. so much more unsettling than anything else. Now I'm coming back full circle to Intruder now, where I'm saying after yeah. the first 20 minutes of this movie, this thing focused so much on the silence of the store, and I never thought a grocery store could actually be menacing in any yeah. sort of way. So I, I was like, think this was the, impressive. Uh, it was impressive to me on a lot of different levels. I was really, really shocked by it. Oh, the uh, the only thing that I can draw back on it, and I'll finish this up and then pass it on. I'll finish up my rating and then pass right. it on and open up the rest of the floor because I get a little bit long winded. So we'll we'll cut down on that. But the I um, God, I love that guy in the boots, man. The, the, <laughs> the, I, I mean, I think the was so brilliant. I even his smile when he goes nuts. I see kiss. I just got carried no. away. You know, so brilliant. I um, think the uh, the but the, the, I was like, it was the, so brilliant. The abstract. Yeah, Aubrey. Stop. Yeah, it's uh, the black and white. Mm. If you have these so many gradations. Beyond the levels, here you have white, you have black. Right. If you have all these levels between the white and the black, it doesn't it, make the contrast between the white and the black. Yeah, it, it, it almost <laughs> like you lullabied in a way. 
Right, you lullaby to the different. Well, like you are settled, you're comfortable in the transition between the white and the black, right? Rather than just going like straight white to black. There's that. Yeah, it's a really hardcore. Yeah, it's and you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and sound I think works the same way. Yeah, going from sound to silence. You know, is is really different, and 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 I never thought, like I said, to bring it back to Intruder. Yeah, I never thought that I would hear that uh, interplay of sound. That, like where I was talking yeah. about, where the difference between the sudden difference between white and black, which yeah. is the same difference between sound and silence. Yeah, I never thought I'd hear it in a grocery store. Yeah. And so, very impressive from a lot of different levels. Uh, the guy that played Bill was absolutely phenomenal. And I've got to throw this out. I've, I've got to throw this out for the one dude that we haven't had a giggle about so far. It was one of the stoners. It was one of the stoners. It's like, oh, nice joke, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> nice joke, Jim. You going to give me a wedgie today, Jim? Good thing I didn't wear underwear today, Jim. <laughs> I laughed about that for probably like a solid 20 or 30 minutes. It's like that's his way of thinking ahead of the. This problem of getting wedgies has been such a large issue that he's thought ahead far enough to where he's like, I'm not going to wear underwear to work because I might get a wedgie. Good thinking, Jim. That fucking accent he had. I don't know what you want to call it. Either surfer or stoner or whatever. I don't know. But. It was this thing worked on a lot of different levels, and I know I'm getting a bit long-winded and cut it however you like, but this thing worked on a lot of different levels. It was delightfully funny, but after about a half an hour, it it quit trying to be funny, Mm -hmm. and it just settled into what it was. It was fun in the start. It got serious, and it reminded me so much of a serious dinner theater. Like, if you've ever been to a dinner theater, where dinner theaters are always whodunits, and the first half an hour is filled with giggles. And then after that, it's always, you have to build the facts and you have to deal with the gruesome scenes of who killed everybody. Dinner theater is like basically stage, a stage play version of what we saw in this movie. You know? And so this reminded me so much of that. And I thought that everybody did such a fantastic job. And at the very end, it ended in... The Raimi's may not have made this movie, but it ended in the classic Raimi fashion. This thing ended almost the exact same way Evil Dead did. With the screaming going through the mouth, isn't that the same way Evil Dead ended Mm -hmm. with the the, uh, shot going into Bruce Campbell's mouth as he's screaming, right? Yeah. And one of the beautiful things that I think needs to happen in horror more is that more horror needs to end with a scream in the middle of the night. We need to end... We need to end without the uplift. We need to end with the dedication to the terrible things. The, what I talked about with curtains, we need to end with the terrible beauty, you know? And I feel like it ended with that classic Raimi ending. And so because of that, I'm only going to give this thing a nine because I don't like being lied to from a story standpoint. And like Roy had said, the times you're given his hand, I'd have to go back and rewatch, but I feel like his wrist is covered at least in like a mechanics jacket. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a blue mechanics jacket. So it's like when you see Bill at the end, it's like, well, he's wearing a shirt. It's like, yeah, but it's clearly not the same shirt. Yeah. You know? And so, 
you're clearly led, you're being, I feel like it made sense 100%. You know, I'm going to bump it to a nine. I'm going to bump it to a nine and a half because I feel like that's a petty reason to take it down. But at the end of the day, I I do feel like they were trying to mislead you just to mislead you. Shh. I feel like you were trying to mislead you just to mislead you. And I don't like that. But everything else in this movie fucking soars. I feel like it completely goes where it wanted to go. And I feel like it created something special. And I don't think you overhyped it at all when Dylan had told me. He's like, they're both fucking classics. I can't wait to talk about them. I'm like, I I 100% think Dylan was right. So, in the end of the day, all hail fucking Dylan. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm glad that I picked these two movies because they were both movies that I want I wanted to check out, and I I was worried that I was overhyping them because both of them I was like I, I messaged you, John, and I was like I'm giving both of these movies high ratings because they were fucking good. <laughs> well, and they're both yeah. similar. They're both very much whodunits. Yeah. yeah, but um, I mean, as far as my rating, I I don't. Like I said, I knew who the killer was going into it, but I don't think it took away too much from it, even though it was set up like a whodunit type of... Now, it might be pretty self-aware for me to ask, but was that only because of the previews, or... Yeah. Can you separate out and be like you would have known even without the previews? No, I I would probably wouldn't have known without the previews. Okay, cool. Um, I mean, I probably would have guessed that it was somebody that wasn't Craig, just because, like I'd said before, that classic trope of like making it obvious that it's somebody, but it's actually somebody else. But right um, now, I enjoyed the movie. I think that it was. Uh, I feel like it was the perfect blend of comedy and horror, which I, I think that it benefited it that they went into this movie right after making Evil Dead Two, which was also a blend of comedy and horror. But um, I, I think that the comedy in the movie isn't really cheesy i feel like it's genuine interaction between the characters like it's everyday back and like the the comedic parts come from like everyday back and forth banter that you would see with like you would actually experience with your coworkers. oh absolutely so it's not it's not something to where it's like unbearable like they just threw some cheesy terrible acting in there to make it you know a, a cheesy 80s horror movie it was it, it felt genuine, so it didn't really bother me too much because I, I'm one that will complain for days on cheesy slasher movies. Oh, yeah. But yep. I, I, I think I'm going to come in. I'm going to rate this the same as I rated Curtains and give it a 9. Um, they were both great. They were, they were similar, but they were also extremely different. So yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I enjoyed this one. It's Mike. It's like a mood thing. If I want a serious slasher, I'll put on curtains. If I want to have fun, I'll put this on. So. Well, that was a lot more gore yeah. in this one too. Like, yeah. I mean, you thought that it like. When did that poor that poor guy that got stabbed in the eye? When did he actually die? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think they actually showed him. He survived. Yeah. <laughs> like later in the movie. Yeah. Okay. Who's next? Roy's next. Right. No, I uh, I enjoy this quite a bit. As far as uh, 80s slasher movies, this is what I expected. And agreeing with John, I do not agree with being lied to. A lot of the murder scenes you see, the arm like, gripping out, and you see 
a leather cup. Is it leather? We're going to have to solve this because I swear to God it's a mechanics jacket, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to solve that. Yeah. Uh, like to me, that was a big, like a very big. Either way, point. I don't think it's the same attire that Bill wears. Like when you see Bill in the end. Yeah. That, so all you need to solve that, maybe. Have him show up in a leather jacket. Yeah. Or something. He, yeah. like, even slightly shows up, pulls out, like, a a leather jacket, says, how do you like that fit? And then takes it off. <laughs> you yeah. like that fit? Even, yeah. Even for, like, that slight point, because yeah. that feels to me I'm being lied to. Yeah. And that's the difference between story and plot. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It's, plot is shifty. So you got the shifty eyes, you know. Plot is like a Detective Holmes story versus like a yeah. story, which is like the character's journey through this yeah place. You know? And like to me, that felt like a very big drop point too. Like whenever you saw a murder scene, you saw the arm and the leather cuff. When you suspect the uh, was it the because he was just wearing, like, Bill was just wearing, like, a blue, I think it was just, like, a blue button-up, wasn't it? Bill, are you sleep? I'm, I'm falling asleep. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, uh, Bill, when Bill, yeah. Bill, was he just wearing a blue button-up? Is that all he was wearing? Um, I, I don't was. remember. Yeah, and the majority of the murder scene, you see the leather cup. Suspecting that douchebag. Douchebag. <laughs> but it did have a lot of, a lot of good, like, murder scenes. Like, murder, uh, skull curses. So I'm gonna give it a seven. Seven? <laughs> Is Becca alive? Yep, she's alive. I'm, Not- I'm alive. I'm alive. Sorry, right. I, I, I've been I almost out. feel like Roy is more comfortable in that seven area than he is with a ten. <laughs> I almost feel like getting a, a seven from Roy is a better compliment than getting a ten. You know. <laughs> but Becca, what you got? Um. Finish this motherfucker up. Number one, I love Ted. That that's got to be said. I love Ted. <laughs> and. And I was sad to see Ted's head ah. Ah. chopped. Ah. But but at the same time, um, and this whole movie, it it had that slight campy feeling. I loved it. Um, but it, it it was more of a, I I guess, like. This is one movie that I would love to just watch with a group of people because I feel like this is one where we're going to be shouting every time someone dies. Oh mm-hmm. my god! You know, um, and, which is what, which is what actually really happened. <laughs> yeah. And um. Good driving movie. Yeah. Yep. Good driving movie. Um. And. And, and and I thought it was brilliant that at the end, huh, they did it, they did it. Uh-huh. All it took, they did it. Yeah, all it took to 
to move the blame off of who it actually was to to the poor kids. Um, brilliant. Uh, I'm gonna give it. No, Aubrey, I'm not gonna give it a zero. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a nine because I I. I thought it was awesome. That fucking monologue with Parker walking down. Was it 8 Mile or 9 Mile? Yeah. What was mm-hmm. it? 9 Mile. 9 Mile, yeah. God, that's, that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> and then like, he said, he's carrying a fucking head. Yeah. Just like in uh, uh, Raising Arizona. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that gives it an average of an 8.6. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Alright, so I'm falling asleep here. It has been a long day, so I'm I'm gonna. I I did fall asleep. Let's let you get the fuck out of here, dude. I'm so sorry. No, you're good, man. Um, so that's gonna wrap it up for this episode. Tune in next week. We're gonna be covering. Uh, I almost said Intruder. Um, we're gonna be tra- covering Maniac and The Prowler. So keep an eye out on that. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horror Haven Podcast and on Twitter at Horror underscore Haven and. Be sure to follow Skeleton Rose Media on Instagram, Facebook, all that fun stuff. Check out the new EP. We love you guys. Have a good night. Absolutely. Horns high. Stay brutal, everybody.